Alright, three, two, one, boom. It's the social engineer show. Today we got seven in the building. How are you, bro? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. For the audience, I spoke to seven through recommendation. Basically, my sister is a friend of yours and she told me that you're very interesting. You got a lot of stuff going on and I thought, yeah, it'd be great to have you on the show. So I contacted you yeah. and Thanks, man. Yeah, and I'm glad that we was able to arrange like a meetup because I know you're a very busy guy, so would you like to give the audience a bit of an introduction, tell them a bit about yourself? A hundred percent. I suppose it depends on where we want to start, but for a, for an immediate, you know, where is my life right now and who am I right this second? Um, I'm someone whose whole life is about trying to find a balance between changing my life for the better and changing the world for the better, impacting others. And for me, that happens through social entrepreneurship. So what that essentially means is finding ways of improving the world by making sustainable systems, uh, businesses and organizations um, to be able to impact the people that they can serve. And so uh, I do that in a few different ways. Currently got kind of one business, one startup and another full time role um, supporting underrepresented founders. So my whole life right now is about founder success and the founder ecosystem. Um, for kind of the the uh, uh, or working towards that that kind of mission across all of those things, um, but something that weaves its way throughout everything I do as well is all around essentially mental health and well being. But more specifically than that, figuring out people, how to understand people, and what impacts people on a very real human level for for the better. Um, and the reason is because throughout everything that you do, what are you dealing with, people? Um, so many of the things we experience, they happen on a human level. And I think right now we live in a, in a time where it's very easy to remove the human from everything, to focus on doing everything instead of who is behind the doing and, 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 and being instead of just doing. Um, and so that is kind of my, my main focus um, is how to understand people better, support them better, um, throughout everything that I do and then everything I do focused on improving people's lives as much as possible. So I think that's that's me as a really rough overview. So would you consider it to be almost like a network of different businesses or something along them lines? Sort of, yeah. My, my vision is to have a group of uh, businesses and startups that all work towards <clears throat> a similar um, purpose or similar mission. Um, which is to level the playing field for the communities that they support. So <clears throat> I have an organization right now, which is called the Discover Humanity Group, um, which uh, will kind of is already overseeing my business and my startup. So the two things I kind of got going on right now eventually will also be the branch into every, anything else that I build. And um, what that looks like is essentially something that can make sure that that purpose which is to level the playing field for those communities can impact or what's a better word for that can can permeate into every single one of those organizations and, and essentially into everything that I do, because I want to make sure that wherever I go, or whoever I'm impacting, I'm doing it to level the playing field for whatever community is being served by that organization. Um, so. Even even in the full-time role I have outside of my, my organizations, um, I support underrepresented founders to learn and succeed within the tech, uh, the, the tech startup ecosystem. Um, that is leveling the playing field for underrepresented founders, people who 
probably don't or who are less likely statistically to succeed um, with with business because of various different reasons and various different barriers and challenges. So even that, everything that I do from those businesses who they serve, everyone that I serve for everything I do is to level that playing field. What would you consider to be a founder? Is it just a, a business owner or is it mm, more than? That's a really good question, actually. So I suppose it depends on on the way you look at it. I, I would split up a founder and an entrepreneur into two different things. Okay. Um, a founder is someone who has founded something. It doesn't have to be a for-profit business, but has founded some kind of organization. Some of the best founders I know are people who have started social movements or they're activists or they have non-for-profits to, to help communities they they just really want to support. And they're fantastic founders. That is different from an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone who doesn't necessarily need uh, to have started a business. An entrepreneur is someone who has uh, entrepreneurial characteristics. And what that looks like is essentially someone who is a fantastic leader, and that is a whole thing in and of itself, what makes a fantastic leader, but then who's also very, very innovative and who's doing that for a purpose. They're an innovative person, which uh, means essentially being very, very creative and wanting to solve problems um, so that they can help a person or they can help a target group or community or customer. Um, and you can do that in a few different ways. You can do that through the role that you have at an organization. You don't need to be a founder to do that. Um, you can do that, again, through some kind of nonprofit. You can do that through politics or activism. There are lots of ways you can do that. But to be entrepreneurial, essentially, it means let's think of new ways to solve problems. And that, for me, is the really, really, really fun part. Um, but getting to, to support founders essentially means the entrepreneurs who have started their own business. And that is probably where I have more of my expertise. Um, but entrepreneurship and entrepreneurialism is what I find most fascinating and most fun within this whole process. To me, that is how we change the world for the better. So you mentioned leveling the playing field. One, how would you level the playing field? And two, what would you consider to be an unleveled playing field? That's a that's a good question. Um, cool. Let's take that in turn. So, how do you level the playing field? Depends. Yeah, that depends entirely on context. Mm. Um, tends what this tends to be about is opportunity. Um, more specifically, access to opportunity. Not everyone will have the same access to opportunity as everyone else. Now, that sounds really hilariously obvious. However, um, that. That can look a little bit different depending on your context. So, for example, um, some of the people I admire most, uh, um, one of my business partners, as an example, he uh, grew up in an area that was very, very, very difficult. Um, however, he put himself forward with lots of support from his family to do lots of things from a young age, then ended up getting support through, um, through essentially through mentors, so some really, really cool people uh, wanted to mentor him. Now that's access to an opportunity. Lots of people in his community didn't get. Mm. Um, what if we can, sometimes the word I'm hearing thrown around now is like democratize something like that. So what if we can bring more access to that kind of support of someone going, I choose to believe in you that he received to more people in his area or more people who were growing up in a circumstance similar to how he grew up. That would be an example of leveling the playing field for his community. Um, and so how you do that, kind of answering your questions in reverse, mm. that's what it can look like. How, how do you do that? Depending on who that is, you need to look at what access for opportunity looks like for them and then see if there are ways you can increase that access. So for a lot of the founders I work with, um, the reason they feel behind, well, 
It can be quite complex. It can be anything from, I've just never learned this. No one in my community, my parents, whatever, had the skills that um, other people in the, in, in the founder ecosystem who are more successful, who tend to look like white men, um, they don't have the access to opportunity or education that, that they had. Um, but it can even be down to mindset. If you walk into a room and people treat you differently because of how you look, that is access to an opportunity that you don't have because people are not going to either give you the opportunity or you try to get an opportunity, but it won't pan out the same way it will for someone else because someone will treat you differently or look at you differently. And so in that context, leveling the playing field looks like how do we find how do we do everything from changing minds to building your mindset and, and confidence um, as in this example, the underrepresented founder, so that when you walk into those rooms, either you can overcome those barriers so that at the end of the day, you still have the same access to opportunity as everyone else or um, so that those barriers don't don't exist in the first place. Right. How can we bring down those barriers and, and, and change that narrative? So. Leveling the playing field can look like all kinds of things depending on the audience and who you're trying to serve and the usually uh, quite complex factors uh, uh, beyond, behind why those challenges are there for you in the first place. So you referenced someone that started off in, I'm guessing, a, is it a poor community or something like that? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But they were able to get support from mentors and I'm guessing mm. they've done really well with it. Yeah. Would you say that the reason they got that was because of something about them? They they had like mm. certain characteristics that allowed them to get those opportunities. Yeah. And going back to um, you know, what makes an entrepreneurial person, he he is a very entrepreneurial person. So this is actually a great example. Um he has some fantastic self leadership skills. Um even as a young person, he pushed himself quite hard for what he believed in and just kept throwing himself into things. As an adult, that looks a little bit different for a number of reasons. One, because um, you might be more set in your ways by that point, right? One, one superpower that young people have is not knowing the way things are supposed to work. The older you get, the more you get told this is how things should work. And so it gets harder to think outside of the box um, to and to fully be yourself outside of some kind of norm set for you, right? Young people have the superpower of not giving a shit about that because they just, uh, they don't have a concept of what that is yet. So young people are naturally very innovative. So for him as a young person, that's what that looked like is I'm going to throw myself into things, think of new ideas, try my best to make them work. And if other people think it's silly, I don't care. Now, the more you can bring that into your adult life, um, the, the more that that uh, uh, can impact you. So for him bringing that into adulthood, and I learned this very strongly from him, um, mostly by by watching and, and doing um, as opposed to kind of being told it, though. And this is the other thing is some people might not realize that's what they're doing. But um, one thing he he's very good at doing is continuing to have ideas, continuing to float them by people and throwing himself at them and seeing if they stick and trying to make them work. And this is the thing about being a founder is um, anyone who's been a founder for a period of time, they'll know that most things don't stick. Most things, you get a million no's to every one yes. You get 99% failure rate. Most ideas are shit. And that's okay. You use that to learn and keep going until you figure out how to make an impact. So that's characteristic in a way, kind of if, if, if um, innovativeness and creativity is skill number one. Number two is that perseverance, but it's intelligent perseverance. I think there's a, there's a myth in, in uh, my industry that, 
um, you just keep pushing until something sticks. And actually, a lot of people keep pushing with something that doesn't work. Being able to intelligently persevere, um, which essentially means persevere until you know you need to flex and then flex with confidence, right? That's essentially what that means. So to intelligently persevere, that's a really powerful number two. And with this kind of combination of, of skills, um, you have someone that can kind of keep going following that passion until they find a way to really effectively make their community a better place or just the, the, the people they want to help, uh, to, to help them as much as possible, to serve them as much as possible. And I think there's a third underlying thing within all of that, which is the, the mindset to be able to do that. Um, there, if, if you've been told your whole life, you can't, that you're not good enough, that this isn't possible, and, and you can be told that physically to your face, but most of the time it's not someone telling us that to our face. It is the world telling us that through little signals, or at least it feels that way. Um, to have the mindset that isn't that, to have a mindset that says, yes, I can, to have a mindset that pushes uh, or, and that pushes that, those thoughts out of the way, that is a really, really powerful piece. But what, I, what I'm learning more and more, well, what I'm hearing more and more, although I feel like I knew this from my own experience anyways, um, is that actually um, that is one of the biggest drivers behind all these things. You can learn to flex, you can learn to become more innovative, but it's really hard to overcome a really ingrained mindset that's probably there from childhood um, telling you you can't or that you're not good enough. And that will change your entire scope of how well you're able to serve the people that you want to serve and yourself. Mm. So... The guy you mentioned, I would imagine that he had to develop his skills. I imagine he didn't just of start off with it. So by leveling the playing field, are you suggesting that you would not have to develop these skills? You would just automatically be propelled into where he ended up as opposed to... No, no. Um, what leveling the playing field means is giving people access to opportunity. But not everyone will take opportunity, Right. Two people can be presented with the same opportunity. They won't be right for, for everyone. Someone can choose, I don't want to take this. Um, someone can subconsciously choose, I don't want to take this. And they subconsciously choose that by going, I can't bother to put the effort in. Or um, just, it can come back to that mindset as well of, I just don't want to do this. Maybe they do want to push themselves. You still need to be successful at anything you do. You still need to develop some really powerful, incredible skills. I guess there's a mix here of character and 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 competency. Um, competency are those skills you have, and you always need to improve your competency. Character, you do need to aim to improve, but not everyone will have that same character. By increasing access to opportunity, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm, I'm going to take away the challenge that exists um, to hold you back, even if you want to do something. So if I really, really, really want to do something that you uh, are able to do, um, but I can't because of a barrier, that is not an, an equal playing field, right? That's what equity is all about. I kind of working in the DEI space now, diversity, equity, inclusion. That's what e equity a lot is about. Well, can we can we get, uh, remove the barrier so that you can access this if you want to? But then you still need to build those skills. And not everyone will choose to build those skills. But as long as the, the barrier is removed, there's an increased chance of success. That's so, what... Mm. Uh, what would an example of a barrier be? Yeah, so... 
let me take the example of, of the underrepresented founders I get to work with um, now all the time. Um, when, when, when kind of talking to them about what they feel holds them back most, because um, again, by working specifically with underrepresented fa uh, founders, um, there are a number of things that they encounter from discrimination, whether that's racism or sexism or something else entirely, to um, uh, the mindset that they cannot achieve. So when I speak to them, what holds you back most? Or do you feel uh, um, things are, are more difficult for you as an underrepresented founder? One of the things I get back most, that I seem to be getting back most often is, yes, things are more difficult, but not because the process is any different, because there are a few extra challenges in the way be, uh, uh, that are either to do with myself and how I've been taught, or the way I get treated, but even the way I get treated with the right actions and skills can actually be overcome more easily than, than we thought. So um, the biggest thing that's left over after you remove that is essentially the mindset and confidence. So um, the, the underrepresented founders I work with, there seems to be a theme of until I've got way more proof than someone who isn't underrepresented has that what I'm doing is worth doing, my self-esteem is going to be a lot lower. Now, if your self-esteem is really low, how do you keep yourself motivated? How do you do that perseverance? How do you trust that the innovation you're trying to create is worthwhile? All those things we've just talked about, how do you actually go and make that happen if your self-esteem is, is so much lower? Um, and so what you see is underrepresented founders are less likely to get funded. They're more likely to, to take longer to succeed when they eventually do succeed. Um, and it, it's so much of it is about their own confidence. That is an example of a barrier that's going to be in place because um, because of, of, of a, you know, the, the system, society, culture, whatever that uh, we've kind of grown up in. Um, that is that is a challenge that is hard to remove, but it means that the opportunity, although it presents itself as being there, as soon as you try to take it, that, that underrepresented founder feels, oh, actually, no, it's not there. It feels like it's being taken away. So it looks like it's there, but it's actually not. Um, isn't that's that makes just internal? Difficult. Isn't that mm. their own beliefs on things? And this is the thing is I think I think it's a mix of both because the discrimination does exist. However, it's easier to overcome when you have the internal um, whatever mix of, of things it is to overcome. So it is definitely a mix of both. However, with that being the biggest piece of feedback I get, I'm now trying to work in more and more. Well, how do we increase your confidence then? How do we increase your mindset? How do we or, or improve your mindset? How do we make it so that whenever you walk into a room, instead of judging yourself before anything else, you're so confident in the value you provide that you stop choosing to hold yourself back. Things will then still be in your way. Um, however, you're now far more empowered to actually make the change for yourself. I think it probably is a lot easier to feel confident mm. when you have the value. Mm. If you haven't actually got the value and you mm. just have a certain dream that you want to mm. achieve, but you haven't, you haven't developed yourself to that point yet, mm -hmm. then of course you're not going to be feeling confident. You still need to build your confidence, mm. but a lot of that comes with the actual, the building process of your, the value you're trying to offer. So, so here's the one thing I would, I would caveat that with mm. is, 
a lot of times value is perceived value. So if I have just an idea and I haven't proven the idea, but I so strongly believe there's value within that, it's perceived that way. And I'm good at selling the the value that is just an idea. Mm. I've created a perceived value um, that an investor might want to invest in, for mm. example. If you can convince the investor. If you can, well, that's the thing. So much of that is there are a lot of people that convince investors with almost no proof. I say a lot. There are some. It's not like it's a huge. Investors do know to look for proof. Um, so it's not like the most discriminatory place ever. But um, there are people who have got a huge amount of proof because it's being filtered through that layer of I don't believe in myself they don't see the value they actually bring to the table. So in other words, if the value is there and it's so much that it's obvious to everyone, um, then, you know, fine. Even with that issue of self-esteem, it can the value is there. But sometimes the value is there and I'm just not good at selling it. Someone's just not good at selling it or just communicating. It's not even trying to sell, just communicating the value is there because it's being filtered through this layer of I don't perceive it as being valuable enough. And this is the reason why is um, something I say to founders so often is in the early days of, of, of being an entrepreneur, of being a founder, the whole organization is about you. So everything that is about you reflects on the organization. If you are stressed, if you're having breakdowns, if you're anxious, your business will be stressed. It will be having breakdowns. It will be giving off this feeling of anxiety. And in a similar way, if you don't value yourself, the business won't seem of value. Does that make sense? And that actually applies to so many other areas of life. If you, if it's just about personal development and you're doing all the things right, but in here you don't believe um, that you're doing the things right or you don't believe they're going to impact you, well, then your personal development will be massively hindered. Um, Same thing if you want to be an activist and change the world through that. Same thing if you want a promotion at work. Everything has to pass through this filter of your own uh, paradigm about whatever it is that's going on about yourself, about your value, and so or the value you're creating. And so, with that filter, that's where the real challenges come in. Mm. So, what would you say some of the methods that people can use to build their confidence is? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, for me, that's a tough one because there are some, you know, common things that get thrown around a lot um everything from you know have a really powerful routine which i do believe and i have you know my morning routine and evening routine which are very much about that empowerment as well and and all kinds of other things like that certain habits you can build but i'm always wary to pass those around as blanket statements or blanket sentiments because at the end of the day everyone's context is a little bit different at the end of the day we are all human beings so there will be lots of similarities biologically we all work roughly the exact same way um for the most part but um i think i think the best way to put it is is this something i i say um something i say to i like to say to founders is well actually i like to say to, to pretty much anyone is um you're not you're not looking for the balance, okay? Say there's all these different things going on and, and when you're trying to develop yourself, there's there's a balance to it. So 
you know, do this to build your confidence and do this to, to rest and do this to whatever. And so there's a balance there. But I think, I think the best way to describe it is this. I won't say find the balance. I'll say find your balance. What I mean by that is it is going to look different for you than it does for everyone else. Confidence or skills, the way you build these things, the way your life works and the way you build it is that exact same principle. Find what works for you, your process, uh, your uh, empowerment, your confidence, your routines, your balance, the things that work for you. And you do that in a way by experimenting. I don't think there's um, one formula anyone can give you to say, if you do this, this, and this, your life will totally change. There might be things you can do that will improve your life, but everything gets filtered. There are lots of layers through which things will get filtered to give you an end result. And so you need to almost experiment with all the kinds of advice that like people like these guys that are up on the wall will give you and things like that. Um, experiment with all kinds of things from all kinds of different sources around wellness, around your mindset, around um, 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 positive routines, changing your life, personal development. Try these different things out, see what works for you and see what doesn't. And here's the one, is another caveat I'm going to put within all of this is um, there's a level of almost, deter mm. I want to say determination. There's a level, there's a level through which you must be introspective enough which requires a certain determination to keep doing it when you feel like shit or when it's not working. There's, there's something that all of this needs to pass through, which is your own ability to reflect. Um, the term I'm, I'm, I, I refer to here is, is um, self-introspection. So you can try all these things out, experiment, see what works for you and see what doesn't. Um, but then you need to be really honest with yourself about the results and you need to be determined to get that best result. Um, and if you're not fully determined, so this is, I guess, two things is one, if you're not fully determined to get that best result and find that to find your balance, um, and number two, um, don't have the self introspection required, which requires a lot of honesty, um, to be able to do that. All these things around experimenting with, with what works for you and what doesn't, um, they, they will fall short because if you can't be honest with yourself and say, this isn't working and this is why this isn't working um, or this should work, but I still have this internal voice telling me it's not good enough, which is holding me back. If you can't be honest with yourself to do that, then, you know, trying all these things, it's going to be like hitting a brick wall and it's, it's going to take a lot more time. It's going to be very frustrating. And some people, uh, I have met some people who, who will give up. Um, because they're just like, I feel like I'm trying all the time and they're just hitting brick walls or not. And, and so I have to ask them a bunch of questions, essentially bringing coaching into it. Um, coaching is one thing I'm learning and learning that in more detail and learning how to listen in more detail. And so you bring some coaching into it, which is around just asking the right questions and listening to those questions. Essentially is the super short version. And at the end of the day, are you being fully honest with yourself about what's working and what's not and being okay with the result that comes up? It's okay if this isn't working because this is why it's say it's my mindset. It feels like shit, but that's okay. Cause I'm working on it. Let's come back again tomorrow. So you're, you're determined to keep going. You don't give up because it didn't, you didn't change your whole life in one day. You're self introspective enough to know what did and didn't work. And then, 
I guess so that's, there's a third element in here, which is the curiosity, right? Cool. It didn't work, but I'm going to persevere. This is maybe why it didn't work. Okay, let's try again tomorrow and see. Instead of beating yourself up about it. Um, that takes a while, but it's those transformations that I've seen help other people, but it's also those transformations I've been through myself. Um, and I've seen the result from, you know, over the course of five or whatever years of, of essentially that being a, a daily or weekly process that you just keep going through little by little, little by little. Um, that is how you change your life and then how you change your life will impact who you can impact. So if you have a goal or you have a passion or you want to change the world for the better, which is kind of, which is essentially what motivates me, well, you've got to start with yourself and, and that's how you do that. Have you found that a lot of these issues that you're trying to help other people with, you dealt with them yourself in your own life? For the most part, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's it's much easier to support someone through something if you've been through it yourself, mm. right? Um, if you know what, what that feels like, you can, you can, it, well, you can, you can empathize more easily. Um, but it also means when it comes to getting really constructive, you know, you might be able to suggest things and, and push them that way. Yeah. What kind of things helped you steer yourself in the right direction? Yeah. Good question. Um, in the beginning, it was, it was kind of around. So for, for a long time, I was a very cynical and depressed person. Essentially. I just did not believe in, in, in that that making the world any better of a place was, was possible. Is but this I still, when you were growing up? This is when I was growing like up. Childhood because of sort a, of thing. Well, so this is pretty pretty much until 18. Okay. Um, through, through, through a difficult childhood, which I'm more than happy to go through because I'm very open about it, um, I developed this very, very cynical and depressed mindset. Um, and eventually I just hit a brick wall and was like, this is fucking tiring. I don't want this anymore. I'm, I'm done with this. So how do I, so how do I change this? And what I wanted at the time was to change my life for the better, but I also desperately wanted to make the world a better place. So these two things I had given up on making my life better and making the world a better place. Um, these are two things I finally just had to admit I desperately wanted. And I found a way to do both of those things. That was through social entrepreneurship. That's why I brought it up at the beginning um, and why it's so important to me. Um, I finally discovered this, this thing called social entrepreneurship that would help me solve both of these goals or work towards both of these goals at the same time. And um, that, I think, was step number one, is essentially actually having something to work towards. Instead of it being, you know, theoretically, I want to improve. Theoretically, I want to be wiser or, uh, you know, improve personal development or just, you know, I want to be happier, which is a very vague sentence. <laughs> um, instead of that, it became very concrete. I want to be fantastic at being this kind of person and doing this kind of thing so that I can support the communities I want to support while also radically improving my own life. That That is what... Um, that is what kind of kicked it all off. Then commence, you know, the next several years since then of essentially what I described earlier of this weekly, every single week, hitting it back, like continuing, just persevering through shit. Now, um, the kind of things that worked for me in that last few years can be hard, are hard to describe because you don't, 
you don't realize all at once that they've come, right? So it hits you like a ton of bricks. Oh shit, I'm a lot different to who I was last year, the year before that, the year before that. In the day-to-day, you're just going through the day-to-day. Um, what my day-to-day looked like that really helped me was at first in part to stop being as self-deprecating as I was before. Now that's easier said than done for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people of our generation anyways seem to hide behind being self-deprecating. I'm just going to chat shit about myself and laugh about it instead of doing something about it, which is a double-edged sword because at least you're aware of it. Um, I kind of was like, this isn't, this isn't okay. There's this internal mindset I have. I really want to stop reinforcing this. Did that change uh, really quickly? No, that took ages. In fact, and it still happens. I'm still going to be working on that all the time. Um, that was the number one is stop setting yourself up by, for failure by calling yourself a failure. I think that's the best way to summarize it. Stop setting yourself up for failure by, call, by calling yourself a failure. Um, and I think, I think if I had to add a number two into this, it would be... Um, uh, 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 the word I kind of alluded to a minute ago, which is awareness, right? Um, to be aware is not always an easy thing to do because we get caught up in day-to-day life, right? Um, if you've ever been, you know, stuck in what you only afterwards realize is a really boring, uh, like, um, small talk conversation, then you'll know which almost everyone, if not everyone, has been through. Uh, and is probably going through regularly, you know, you only realize afterwards, actually, I did this totally unconsciously. It's just happened. It just came out. Um, and actually, it was really boring. And I wish I had a more interesting conversation. Um, and so that I try my best to apply this level of awareness to almost everything that I do. Um, now, because the brain does most of its processing subconsciously, that unless you're a, you know, uh, an enlightened monk living in the mountains is almost impossible um, to do all of the time. However, to try your best to bring yourself back into little moments of awareness as often as you can, that's really, really powerful. So for me, being aware whenever I felt like shit, that was a massive step. Instead of just accepting this is my whole life, feeling that way, actually bringing myself into little bits of awareness um, whenever I could, was like, okay, I don't feel great now, but I might feel better tomorrow morning, or I might feel better later tonight. Um, That little bit of awareness, when something goes wrong, a little bit of awareness about why, this kind of comes into the self-introspection, a little bit of awareness to go, my first reaction is to say that this went wrong because I'm shit, but actually, with a little bit of awareness, um, it's probably because I hadn't, I didn't know this, I hadn't tried this before, some failure is necessary to learn, I've learned these things, Am I drained? Yeah, but tomorrow I might have some more energy or next week I might have some more energy. And so you keep going little by little. Mm. Um, so that awareness was, was, was a big piece, number two. I think it's, it's characteristics like these that you need to realize you need to you know, input into your life. But once you have, you start to do it little by little. Those are probably the things that help me the most. Um, what that ended up looking like on a really concrete level is... Um, I guess there's a few core things that I think are very human, which we kind of kind of briefly mentioned earlier. Um, these things that are just superhuman that helped me, uh, or sorry, that are very basic in a human way, that, that, that helped me when, when developing these things or putting these things into practice in my life. 
um, one of them was around the people in my life. So through this awareness, what you start to learn is what what unique to you is is a constant theme throughout your life. Um, if we think about someone's the way so the way someone is now is often because of what they experienced in their childhood, then you're going to have a voice uh, as a child or or you're going to have an internal voice, which is that of, of your inner child. And so that inner child is always going to be on the lookout for the things that that scared or impacted younger you the most. For me, that was a lot about people. I didn't have much family. I had very few friends, um, a number of issues, which meant I felt very excluded from other people. And then moved to England from the US at a young age. So then had to, in a way, restart my life again. How old there. was you when you moved over? 12. Okay. So not like super young, but old as well. Old enough to have had some friends and yeah. family that I was leaving behind. Um, and so I think it's between those experiences, those things, for and, and that move, um, one of the biggest paradigms for me was loneliness. Loneliness and aloneness, two different things um, in many ways. But um, that was one of my biggest paradigms. So how much of what I'm doing comes back to that. Through that awareness, I was able to go, okay, cool. Maybe the reason I'm calling myself shit is because I think maybe I'm subconsciously thinking it means other people will think less of me. And that matters to me because of how lonely I, I was as a child and, and how that continues to impact me as an adult. So through that awareness, I'm able to learn, well, what's most important to me because of the experiences that I've had. So the things that have helped me grow the most because of that awareness, one of those things was... Let me surround myself with community and build community around me. Now, I still struggle with this a lot. Um, but having a few core friends, um, cherishing the family, the little bits of family I do have left and appreciating that as much as possible, but then building family around me as much as possible. In many ways, uh, my teams are my family. Um, the various teams and people that I work with, they are like family or extended family to me because I care about them. I get to know them. I surround myself with them. And sometimes I get to choose them because if you're you know, bringing someone else into your organization, you choose who to bring in. Um, I'm choosing people of great character. I'm choosing that character over that competency as bring great people in. And so I'm building a family around me in many ways. Um, so that's one thing that's helped me is to surround myself with people that inspire me and that make me feel as part of a community with them. Um, so that's one thing that's helped me. And because it's very human, that could help a lot of people as well. But, you know, like we said, it, 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 different people will, will need different things. Um, one of the other things is just really powerful habits. Um, I, for a long time, was just really aimless and sometimes still feel like I am. Like sometimes I still struggle to keep these habits up. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, like I have a morning routine. Mm. Um, and my morning routine uh, seems to get longer every month. But uh, what it essentially looks like for me is I wake up and and pretty much first thing I do is I try to meditate for a little while because my my brain is very good at going off into tangents, um, as you might have noticed through this conversation. Uh, although I try to always bring it back, my brain does this naturally. Um, uh, uh, it can struggle to focus. So um, I, um, I'm always... It's like, it feels like my, my mind is always worrying away. So I need to start with some kind of meditation that grounds me a little bit. Does it help? Yes, Maybe not as much as, as I wish it would, um, but that could be down to me or how much I'm doing it. So that tends to be how my day starts off. Then, How long do you meditate for? 
So I try to do 15 minutes now. Started at five, then went up to 10. Now now try to do 15. What do you mean by meditating? Do you just like try and clear your mind? and? Yeah, so I use Headspace a lot. What is um, Headspace? Headspace is an app um, that essentially, it's, it's it essentially audio meditations. So you put it on a bit like you put on Spotify and just listen and it will guide you through meditations. Okay. So um, it's, it's, it's uh, guided audio meditations. Um, and it's literally just a big bank of that. It's almost like YouTube but for this very specific niche. Um, that helps guide me through the process. That's how I learned to meditate was through Headspace. And I still use it quite a bit to, to do so. Um, I don't need it to do so anymore. And so I have actually some some weekly habits as well or weekly part of a weekly routine, which is about a few different specific types of meditation where I will just do that myself. Meditating on appreciation is number one. Number two is um, a change in mortality, which sounds very, very like intense. But all that means is that essentially what I realized, and this was only a few months ago, I essentially realized we we get so into um, day-to-day life that we forget we're aging. We forget things are going on around the world. We forget any day could be our last day for whatever reason. And so reflecting on that helps me to appreciate um, and so I reflect on that separately, but also as a part of that appreciation exercise. Um, and, and a couple other things like that, other types of meditation, like like those two things, where it's a weekly process, and that is something I'm able to do to clear my mind. Um, but for that daily, going back to that daily, um, it tends to start off with that. It's a mix of clearing my mind and trying to focus. Sometimes using Headspace, what it will do is it will give you specific um, or there are specific, like essentially courses, like meditation courses on there, um, specific to certain things. So um, uh, trust, anxiety, a, a huge range of things on there. Sometimes I'll go through those too. That's usually how I start my day because I want to try to clear my mind and get it into a more useful state. Um, I was then trained uh, a, f- a year or two ago, was trained by a coach to be able to overcome some of those negative voices in your mind. And so I have a, a set of affirmations that I say to myself every morning, which feels cringy to do, and it feels cringy to tell other people that I do. So mm-hmm. it feels strange to say that. However, looking at that that like human psychology, um, that is something that is is um, has been powerful for me, and I've seen it be, to be honest, more powerful for other people than I've seen it be for me, um, because again, everyone's different. However, it does help remind myself to not talk to myself like shit and instead to talk to myself more positively. Mm. Um, and then I'll just do a few other things after that to kind of prepare myself for the day, um, spend a bit of time trying to be super present. Presence is this whole separate thing we could spend the whole time talking about. Um, and, and a few other things that just try to ground myself and bring myself into a more aware, aware place for the day. That routine has helped set me up for success, especially as I properly implemented it over the last kind of six to eight or so months um i've seen a, a, a kind of a big change in my confidence levels actually um between that and the awareness i feel myself growing faster um and and just feeling more full of energy so that is something that helps me a lot but again both those things as well as how i do those things and how much of them i do that's a balance i've learned works for me and, and again might not work exactly the same for everyone but worth a try right you mentioned that uh- you've kind of surrounded yourself with people who are positive mm-hmm. and who um, inspire you and mm-hmm. make you feel a good sense of community. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the concept of group mentality? Like, mm. uh, for example, there might be someone who's 
going through a lot of depression mm. and then they've got five friends and all five of their friends are also going through a lot of depression and they keep it's almost like an echo chamber of depression mm. how what do you feel about that concept yeah it's a really interesting one um I think we can look at this in a few levels, but let's let's focus just on the example you've given of, you know, your five closest friends and, and that whole saying that's gone around a lot online of your five closest friends. Um, the fact is that that is impactful and that I think I would... I, I do think that echo chamber mentality or that echo chamber phenomena, whatever word you want to use, does happen. However getting too focused on on the fact that that's happening and not doing something about it, I think that's dangerous. So what I mean by that is I read an example of something similar where someone, they're super motivated to succeed, super, super motivated to succeed um, based on their definition of success, which sounds like it's mostly about money and career su- success. So it was this tweet where he kind of went, I only have five friends at any one time. Those five friends, I judge them on three criteria. Criteria number one is like, um, you know, uh, how much money they make. Number two is is something similar to that. All three of them were something to do with money and career success because that was his goal. As soon as I am above someone in that group in all three of those categories, I cut them off. And I was like, yo, that is so horrible. Mm. Because if you're... So there's a few reasons for that. One is because... Um, there are far more levels to look at a human being than, than just that. Human beings are so deep and rich and extensive. No matter who you are, there are so many layers there. Even the people, you know, you walk past people or you meet people and you're like, no, this person is not that interesting. They're not that deep. There is something there. Maybe it's not for you to be part of that, but there is something there, something within everyone. Um, it's, it's almost impossible for there not to be, I think. Um, so judging people just on those criteria, that's incredibly dangerous. Um, but number two is, in that specific example, if you are judging people based on those three criteria, whenever some, whenever you're above anyone and all three of them, at some point, you're going to be below someone else on all three of them. So why shouldn't they cut you off? And so and so, this is the thing for me is, at the end of the day, if we're all human beings, the connection is the number one important thing. So the Eckerd Chamber, although it happens, I think it can only happen when everyone there is totally unconscious, is totally unconscious that they're being part of the Eckerd Chamber, that they're creating some kind of negativity there to all bounce across each other. And that awareness that we've been talking about so far can bring, can, can change that somewhat. So if I take my group of closest friends, for example, um, I'm, I am most definitely the most ambitious out of them. I work the most. Um, I've had the most theoretically, quote unquote, career success so far, just because in a way I've been working longer than all of them. Um, does that mean I should I should cut them off like the example before? And, and to me, it's like, well, if I look at them as a whole hum, human being, they're very emotionally intelligent people, very empathetic. I enjoy being around them a lot. Are these not things we should also be looking at? So do we have the problem of being in an echo chamber? Maybe, but I worry when people get too attached to this idea of, are you in that and your five closest friends, et cetera, et cetera, because it becomes very easy to stop looking at someone like a whole human being and looking at those reasons why those might be, or at least some of them might be, maybe all of them might be 
great people to still have around. And so we then need to, it doesn't actually solve the, the problem though of maybe all five of these people are depressed and they're exacerbating each other's uh, depression. Looking at them as a whole human being means you stray away from that dangerous potential of cool, so I'm gonna jump to the conclusion of maybe cutting these people off or whatever, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. So how do you solve that problem? I think that bringing that, that consciousness and that awareness into it is one of the ways to do that. So if I can, if I can kind of go, oh, all of us are exacerbating each other's depression, I can go, hey guys, can we talk about this very seriously? I've noticed we're all like this. Do we still want to be like this? Have a conversation. Some people might not be receptive to a conversation. Some might be. And that's how you start to know what should you do next in that kind of situation. Um, someone, if they're not receptive uh, at all, and there's nothing you can do, and eventually you feel like that's being too much of a drag on you, then you can start to, to analyze, well, what should I do next in that situation? But if someone's like, yeah, you're right, this does feel like shit, maybe you can work with, with them or all of those people, whoever they are, to then start working together to improve as well. I think these problems of echo chamber only happen when it's happening totally unconsciously. A lot of social media is like that, right? That's the really yeah. classic example for our generation as well is, um, you know, uh, um, with, with social media, I'm doom scrolling through everyone who, through all kinds of issues, um, and they're all the same issues because that's my echo chamber. Or everyone I follow all believes the same things as me. And if someone has a different belief to me, I'm going to unfollow them. That's an echo chamber. So everything you see is an echo chamber. I think that can only happen when you're so unconscious of, of the fact that that's an echo chamber and the problems with that. Um, only then is that going to, to be this thing where things bounce around unconsciously. And then your whole worldview becomes this little bubble. And that is also dangerous. So you need to be, you need to take a lot of, if you feel you're in that kind of situation, you need to take a lot of awareness into that and do things carefully because you don't want to overreact and cause more damage, but you also don't want to to do the second thing we were just describing of, um, of, of just letting it happen and being caught up in that totally unconsciously because that is not help. Not only is it not healthy for you, but it's actually not helpful, right? If everyone sounds the same in a certain situation, you're not learning new things. And uh, if if it's a situation like the example you gave of everyone there being depressed, well, that's not helping you if if no one in that group is is trying to improve that. And then if you want to help other people, like you know, lots of the people that I work with and that I've been talking about at the beginning, um, if your goal is to be able to help other people and change their lives for the better, um, then. Um, then, then being in that in that state of that tunnel vision doesn't help them either because you are not able to improve. Yeah, I I wouldn't suggest cutting these people off. I would suggest that you still love them the same way mm. you've always loved them. But if you want something different for your life, you mm. might need to focus on what you want, and mm. perhaps you will inspire them like indirectly. Mm -hmm. But even if you don't, you just don't need to be indulging in mm. in the in the thing so in the much conversation yeah, yeah because um what i find as well a lot of these things are subconscious it's like mm -hmm. you might have a group of friends and you might be saying something positive but on some subconscious level they don't enjoy that conversation mm -hmm. you're having with them like that you're basically saying you're talking a different language mm -hmm. to them and they don't want to hear it so they just don't speak to you as much mm -hmm. Like they don't call you they don't they don't want to tell you their problems because you're just in a different page mm -hmm. so it's it's like you're you kind of learn and then vice versa it might be one time something bad might have happened, you tell them, and then 
they're all over it because mm. they can relate. And then it's like, you're, it's like you're getting approval from the negative stuff and you're getting disapproval from the positive stuff. So it it can go subconscious. It can go under the radar where you don't really understand why it's like this, but it just is. So in them cases, I would just say, just focus on what you want to what you want to achieve. Don't cut your friends off, but just mm. you might have to slightly distance yourself where you Some, just focus yeah. on what you need to. And mm. as I say, indirectly, you, you could just uh, inspire them to be to want to be doing more what you've done. Yeah, I think I add, I mostly agree with that, but I think I'd add one little caveat, which is um, be careful how you distance yourself, how much you distance yourself and who you distance yourself from. If there are cases where someone is being super like draining on you and is, you know, a, like you describe, there's nothing positive coming from that, then fine. But one of the things that worries me a lot about our generation um and i and i and i can't help but feel it's gonna be even worse for generations after us but i guess we'll see um is health as a result of human connection so what i mean by that is if you look at some of the happiest healthiest and longest living people on the planet they're people who essentially in in short they have a really powerful community around them because when you get into like, let's say your 90s, okay, um, when, you know, everyone who's young, so people our age are expecting their, you know, people who are 90, their bodies to be shutting down or that, you know, they're just getting older and they've not got long left. You get some people who are living way longer than that, living into their hundreds, you know, some of the old people on the planet. Um, and they're doing it almost consistently within a community. Why? Because they continue to have purpose. If we look at what makes people live the longest and the healthiest, it's purpose. Um, a purpose not obstructed by things like your purpose can, you know, come out into the world through your work, but then you overwork and that causes problems. So it's not purpose in that way. It's purpose as in a reason to keep living. And that almost always, in fact, as far as I know, it literally always comes down to other people in your community. And so... What's, what worries me about distancing too much is even if someone, you're just in a different place, them unless you genuinely think somewhat negatively of them or you're like, this person is just negative on my life, I, I would caveat be careful about that because be careful about distancing yourself too much from too many people because actually a really powerful community around you has been proven to be what's best for long-term health and happiness. The best example of that... Um, is um, essentially uh, um, essentially Japan. Have you heard this thing around the ikigai, right? This principle no. of the ikigai. So um, this is this really, this really, really fascinating thing. I learned about a few years ago, and it's becoming more popular to talk about now. The Japanese have this tradition. Uh, no, tradition is the wrong word. The Japanese have this tool slash belief slash framework for life, um, which is called ikigai. I forget exactly what Ikigai translates into, but essentially it's the balance between four different uh, aspects of your life. Um, uh, the things you can get paid for, the things that you love, um, the things that provide value to other people or that service the world, so the things that people need. Um, one other thing which I feel really ridiculous for forgetting now, but essentially what it does, it's this framework for understanding your purpose. Um, and what that allows you to do is 
all throughout your life, you're working towards a purpose. Um, the, the Japanese have this um, this incredible incredible uh, part of their culture, which is even the people doing jobs that seem really, really, really boring, they're really dedicated to their craft. Like it's it's something in, in most of their cultures, it's like, I don't like my job because it doesn't pay me enough. I'm going to move on to something else. Whereas if they really enjoy their job or they're good at it, they really dedicate to it relatively because they have this purpose, the way something can come out into the world. Um, what becomes consistent is this purpose helps give you a reason to keep going. And people come into this when later in life you move on from what that physically looks like into the people around you. They also have this secondary um, kind of concept, which I forget what they call it in, in Japanese, but it's essentially your local community and the way local community looks for them is very different to the way it looks over here in the UK for them. What it looks like is you've got an established group of people that you've known for decades, if not your whole life, um, where when you're getting into your older years, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, this is a group you can call on for all kinds of support from financial to mental health, to social needs, um, and, um, and so your purpose essentially continues to live on through your connection with other people. So you start with this really powerful sense of purpose, and then it continues on all throughout your life with a sense of community. What I worry will happen for our generation, and there's a few ways in which this is happening, okay? Work from home is one of them. Um, um, the stuff you were talking about is another one of them, where we're having less and less people in our lives, we are distancing ourselves more from more from them. In many ways, we're becoming more and more siloed. Siloed is a whole separate thing we can talk about if you want to. We're becoming more and more siloed, separated away from other people who don't believe in the same things as us or look the same way we do or whatever. We're becoming more and more siloed. And so our communities shrink. Our support network shrinks. So the best case scenario for a lot of people is their community is a few friends they get older, maybe get married and have some kids, and then they get older, older, their kids move, and then now you're elderly, and it's just you and your partner. If you get unlucky and your partner passes away, it's just you. You have almost no friends around you. Your kids are gone off somewhere else. Suddenly, this downward spiral of, of all kinds of negativity in your life because you don't have that established community. I worry for our generation in the Western culture that we are not going to have that community as, as older people. And that's going to massively negatively affect our lives. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing a lot with the current elderly generation. Um, and I think it's only going to get worse if we don't stop trying so hard to remove ourselves from other people just because they're a bit frustrating. A lot of older people from older generations, they will actually put up with other people better than we will. They're less likely to cut people off. Um, there are other problems uh, in terms of community or their views of other people around them. But um, people that they've grown up with, they're less likely to cut them off. Whereas we go, you know, sorry, you're just, it's just too much effort to, to keep up with you right now because we live in different countries, so I'm just never going to call you. Whereas, like, my grandmother is always calling people from all over the world. She's on the phone all the time. I'm worried our generation won't have much of that. So be careful who you cut off. The idea of distancing yourself mm. sounds as though it's the same thing as cutting people off, mm. but it's not you still love them the exact same mm. way. You haven't stopped loving this person. Mm. They're still your friend. They're still, like if they called you tomorrow, it would be exactly mm. the same as if you stayed around them the whole time. It's still the same thing. The only difference is rather than staying in that mind mm -hmm. frame, mm -hmm. you've chosen your purpose instead. Yes, 100%. You've chosen to pursue your purpose mm. with 
like you're throwing yourself into your purpose, which means you some you you can't be around you can't just be sitting mm-hmm. so for example let's say there's two tradesmen mm-hmm. there's um two engineers one engineer decides that he's gonna put like throw himself completely into his his um service and get, render the best service he can to as many people as possible indirectly he does create a community because loads mm-hmm. of people do want his services and he's doing a good job he's make, he's delivering loads of satisfaction to loads of different people mm-hmm. the other engineer he has a group of friends who they can't really hold down jobs. They they more want to like dwell on on like their upbringings and stuff sure. like that. And so he also doesn't really take his job too seriously. When he finishes work, he goes and chills with them. Maybe they're mm-hmm. taking substances, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they're just in this thing. Yes. And ultimately, yeah, they have each other. They have these like four or five people, but they're not really useful to the broader community. Yes. They're not really useful to the random people that they meet throughout yes. their services that they're 100%. rendering. So I think that was what I meant in regards to you might have to distance yourself. Yes. But not in a way that you're cutting them off and they're not your friend. You still care Mm. about them. You still love them. You still will help them in any way you can. But at the same time, you've thrown yourself into your purpose, which Mm. means you you just don't have the time to just be. No, I think you're completely right about that. And the reason I wanted to make that distinction is because what I know, what I know happens from lots of conversations I've had, other things I've seen and personal experience myself is um, you say, and the way you put it is is really beautiful of, you still love them the same way. I totally agree that that's what should happen. But the question for me is, does it happen? And that's why I worry about our generations. I don't think it often does. I think once you start to distance, the distance, distance happens because you you don't try to keep a connection. And it might be a good reason for that, such as what you just described. However, because you're not trying, that distance on its own, of its own accord, will naturally increase, right? It'll get further and further and further. Eventually, I think human beings struggle to continue to, or struggle to continue to, to foster or hold the exact same amount and type of love for that person. You might still go, well, theoretically, we grew up together. So I, I, you know, I still love them. They're still like a brother if they called me today, but how likely are you to call them today? And this is after a long period of time. And so that's just aware, you know, an, I guess an awareness of, of the way human beings can work after a longer period of time um, where, you know, we need, we need that physical connection I feel to feel that energy change. I understand what you're saying, mm. but I feel as though the implication is that mm. the group of people who have stayed around each other, the mm. four or five friends that are, in a so-called echo chamber or something mm. the implication is that they really love each other mm. that but might not in, be the case yeah <laughs> and i would i would see that I, in the way i see things is that they probably don't really love each mm. other they probably just it's like a codependency yes and they're not helping each other yes like what they're doing is harming each other mm. so maybe the, the the person who does like go and do something else yet indirectly mm. is doing it out of love for these people he's not allowing that to be a reason to just keep on yes. dwelling in that. And he's, mm. he's gone and done something else. And he's still, like, you can call them anytime. Like, so for example, me, I've changed my life quite a lot. Mm. And like people, any of my, any of my friends from growing up, they can call me for anything. They can call me to, like, and I'll, I'll always do what I can to, mm-hmm. do to help them. But I can't be around them all the time because mm. I'm really dedicated to my purpose. I'm really like trying to do my best with this short amount of time I have on earth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think that, yeah, I just, it, it is easy to, there's a lot of, like, words are strange things, in it? There's a lot mm. of, like, feelings and meanings mm. behind the words that 
people get when you say certain things. So the word distancing, mm. it really has a negative connotation. It does. And it doesn't have to be super negative. But I think mm. the way you've described that is is really beautiful. Like it can, you can continue to to hold someone in your heart knowing that it isn't, that this isn't, the way things looked a year ago isn't the way you want things to look next year. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. Um, and and perhaps what it's about is looking at each situation independently. Um, perhaps we're describing two slightly separate, two slightly different uh, situations. One where, you know, society is pressuring you to, to distance yourself from people you love for some not so great reasons. And number two, where you objectively realize, actually, this isn't a great relationship to be in for whatever reason um a hundred percent perhaps perhaps if there's an answer here the answer is look at that individual situation and what it is about that 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 you feel isn't quite right and then make a judgment call from there because with what you're describing um it probably is really powerful to distance yourself from that if anything to break some of the chain of that echo chamber so that does help other people as well as yourself so you're probably right there also you mentioned a term that i'm not familiar with uh, a silo could you explain what that means yeah so I learned this in a book, um, an author named Brene Brown. So she's a, an American author from Texas. She talks a lot about, um, or writes a lot about, I should say, and talks about it. Um, an essentially human connection, right? Um, so I think the best way to describe this is with a, a kind of, by giving some context. If we look at a graph over the next, or sorry, of the last 40 or so years, how many people report as feeling lonely? In four, you know 40 years ago, it was not too high, and it's gone up significantly over those last 40 years. And we're hearing, I'm here, I feel like I'm hearing reports semi-regularly. I know I've heard one really recently that it's reported to be even higher again. Like it's always record-breaking reports of people feeling lonely, especially younger generations. And if we look at this, we can start to diagnose, well, why? And so, you know, the whole thing about, you know, you know, uh, love your neighbor and, you know, your local community, support your local community. Over that last 40 years, that started to look very different. I think it was exacerbated by the Internet, actually, but even before before the Internet was mainstream. Um, it be, it's become very common and over that last 40 years became more and more common to separate yourself from people who are different to you on out, out of some kind of emotional attachment to the way that you are different. So the best example of that is around uh, voting in politics, right? Super, super common. If I vote Labour and uh, my neighbour votes Conservative, I hate them, right? It's that mentality. Mm. That's super, super common. Um, it's not just common amongst our generation, it's been more and more common over the last 40 years. So the reason you talk about echo chambers earlier is actually super relevant to this, um, is because they're, they're actually not dissimilar. Siloing means you are separate in your own little silo with the people who are like you and only who are like you. So I silo myself away from people who vote differently to me. I silo myself away from people who believe in different things to me and in all kinds of other ways um, outside of that too, every single way. And so essentially you silo yourself into just a small, small, small group of people. But really realistically, you're not going to agree with literally almost anyone about pretty much every single thing. It's almost impossible. 
I might believe there's one specific policy we should put in place. Someone else might believe we shouldn't. At the end of the day, we both still want the same thing, which is we want to make the world a better place, right? Our hearts are in the right place. But based on experience or whatever, we believe in slightly different policies. Imagine siloing yourself from someone like that. You go, no, 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 no. You believe in different things to me. I'm going to label you as a bad person. Bye. Eventually, you don't feel like you connect with anybody. So you're not used to the sense of community anymore, which is very, very necessary for just human health is is a physical in-presence, people around you who love you and, and, and all that. That's... um. You get siloed away from more and more people. So you don't feel like you're a part of, of a community. You feel like you have less people to talk to and things like that. And so siloing is essentially this phenomena and we we really only have it as far as I know, at least to this extent in the West, right? The US, the UK, maybe some other parts of Europe um, and, and some other parts of North America where we will just really emotionally identify with what we believe in um, but not in a not in a powerful way, as in you know I believe people should be happy and healthy, but I believe in you know that we should only vote for this person or whatever. I really, really, really emotionally attach myself to that, which means if you do something else, you're so different from me. I can't be with you at all. I can't have anything to do with you, and and there might be reasons for this that are somewhat understandable, but more and more often I feel our generation will claim that that's for their mental health. Um, and so what that means is you're justifying siloing yourself away from other people in a way that is actually very, very unhuman. It's not naturally healthy thing for a human to do. And so the more siloed you get, the smaller and smaller that circle gets to eventually where it's just you. Mm. And so even if you do have some people close around you, okay, close friends some family, uh, a partner, whatever, um, in some ways, you'll feel siloed. You won't be completely siloed from them, but you'll feel siloed even from some of them, depending on how how deep you let this get. So what a siloing essentially is, is removing yourself from other people, uh, putting yourself into this own little bucket, your own little bucket of who you are um, in a way that actually isn't that reasonable or doesn't actually make that much sense to the point where you've massively created a detriment to your own life and the lives of other people around you because you won't fully allow yourself to be part of their lives. And this is when that stuff we're talking about around community and purpose and how that affects your health actually becomes so important because the more you silence yourself over time, uh, uh, the, the more difficult your life and your health will get because you've removed yourself from what a human being needs to be to be happy and healthy, which is people and community. I understand what you just said and I think there is a lot of truth to it, but one thing that I'm not sure about mm. is the cause of it. Because if you look back to how things were, things were a lot different than mm. they are now. But the things that are happening now seem to be pushed forward as morally right. Mm. And the things that were happening back then are pushed forward as morally wrong. Mm. So stuff like religion, mm. stuff like uh, marriage, stuff mm. like people view them things now as kind of oppressive. And sure. um, they view it as like you should be able to just be who you want to be sort mm -hmm. of thing but i think that's kind of what makes us more individualistic mm -hmm. isn't it so it's like what is the solution can we is is there is it even possible for us to see things how people used to see things under this these circumstances yeah it's really interesting um i think i get what you mean so i think these are two slightly separate things where Okay, so the, the first thing I'd probably throw into, into the mix of what you just said is um, 
human beings will always, always, always be far more similar to each other than different. These things we use to separate, to, 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 to see ourselves as individual from others, they're important up to a level. I, th I think getting too into individualism actually becomes really, becomes a little bit harmful because if you see yourself as too different to others, it becomes harder to empathize and realize actually we're all very, very connected because we're all so similar, right? I remember um, my, my old English teacher was actually very good at this in school. He gave us such a clear example of this so easily. He, he said, cool, class, what's the opposite of the sun? Immediate answer, the moon. No, they're just two, two objects floating in the sky. You know, in this, this is how it appears to us, right? Um, what's the opposite of a man? A woman. Well, no, there's nothing more biologically similar to a man on this planet than a woman and vice versa, right? What it did is open my mind to cool. Individualism helps to an extent or understanding how you are an individual helps with lots of things I think are important to a human being, but then becoming too into it can start to make you think you're too different to other people and you start losing some of that connection. So I think that's one thing I'd, I'd use to caveat what you what you just said is, uh, yeah, with that as a lens, um, what I think we can start to understand is these things that allow me to be different to other people, they should be there to serve me, but that shouldn't affect if I allow myself to care about, love, uh, learn about, and be connected to other people, right? In other words, um, if, if, say I have to see someone in my close friendship group believes uh, or feels that marriage might be a bit oppressive for them, whereas I feel for me it'd be quite liberating for whatever reason, um, that, that, that shouldn't mean we're siloed from each other. We should still be able to be super connected with our different opinions. That's essentially what it comes down to, is to what extent do you allow your differing opinions to make you emotionally push yourself away from someone else um, to kind of go, because we believe in different things, I'm just going to separate myself from you. Part of the problem is wanting other people to know your beliefs mm. and like to validate your beliefs. Sure. It's like if you, if you're able to have your beliefs and just keep it to yourself, yeah, then you can get along with everyone if, if mm -hmm. and everyone can do that. But mm -hmm. if you want other people to validate your beliefs, mm then it's, you're going to end up siloing yourself yes. because they, some people's beliefs is in direct contradiction. Yeah, to, so there's some level of ego here probably, right? Yeah, I think so. It seems as well, this is like kind of like a general thing that a lot of people feel nowadays mm -hmm. that their, their views and opinions should be validated mm -hmm. by other people. And it's like, I feel like it's, it's almost like a majority mindset. It's like that's mm -hmm. how most people feel like that mm -hmm. rather than the, the few people who are happy to just be around other people who have completely opposing beliefs and just mm. not even voice their opinions on it. Mm. So given that uh, circumstance, it, it makes me think that we're, it's, it's almost like the siloing effect that you described is almost like an inevitability. It has to be that based on the yeah. way we're living right now. With, with, with the way we're living right now, mm. yeah, probably. With, with, the, with um, the way we start to see ourselves in each other uh, with the way society is right now, I think it's probably inevitable that loneliness has increased and the siloing has gotten worse. I, 
I don't, I think without a level of an increased level of kind of shared consciousness of being able to basically say exactly what you just said, actually, of we can have differing opinions, but we're still human and I can still love you. Um, I think without that, it'd be very hard to improve siloing. Mm. Some of the ways, if we wanted to get really practical about it, some of the ways that we improve that um, are through creating more shared human uh, experiences. So really, really simple example, something I feel quite strongly about within my space of work is if we think about business and leadership, um, work from home is obviously becoming, has become much, much bigger. Um, with COVID ending, more and more people, more and more companies want us to go back to the office. A lot of people didn't. Now, I think what we had before COVID of being forced to, to commute in five days a week probably didn't work very well. Um, but the opposite to that, which is what some people would seem to prefer, is um, fully remote, fully work from home. I think that's also really damaging. I think that's also also has a is also potentially very very problematic for this reason of well you by being together in person you create a shared human connection so how are you going to feel connected to your colleagues if you only ever see them on a 2d window or you only see them once a month at you know a company meetup because a company says we're a community but that's not how community is created you don't just create community by saying you have one um you've got to create shared human connections and experiences so the potentially one of the most powerful practical ways to start improving some of what we were just talking about is to create as many of those as possible, right? Can you invite all the neighbors over in your building to, you know, a barbecue once a month? Um, right now I'm looking into moving and I'm kind of thinking, well, when I finally do, and I've got some of some more space to myself, um, I'm going to let's, I'm going to say, uh, you know, once a month or once every other month, let me just get together 30 people, 50 people. Well, as many people as my one bedroom place can fit. Um, and just, yeah, just chill and have a bit of a party. It doesn't need to be anything crazy. Um, just let's create some shared human connections. So in that example, say, mm. say you're throwing a barbecue mm. and you want to invite a handful of people, but half of the people you want to invite are completely opposed to meat being barbecued. Or meat be okay. like anyone they're like vegan and mm -hmm. they don't want to even be in an area where mm -hmm. they're smelling meat mm -hmm. or where and it's like if the vegans were like mm -hmm. they didn't care, you do what you want and mm -hmm. they're just not gonna eat it. Yeah. Then the party would work. Yeah. But if they can't be around it, cool. then it can't work. It's True. so so that's where it becomes okay, now you yeah. can only invite meat eaters to your meat barbecue. Pretty much. Well, so this is the thing is well, so I think there's two things there is is number one it wouldn't be I could only invite meat eaters. I'd be, it'd be, I could only invite people who were okay with there being people who ate different things to yeah. them. And I think that's the difference is, you know, it's, it's easy to assume, well, if this is what vegans were like, then it would be that. But that's, I think, from my experience, that's very rare. Um, you know, most people don't really mind too much. Well, maybe it's because we live in London. I think London's a relatively actually accepting place, yeah. relatively speaking, but you get my point. A number two to that would be, and to make that more practical is, well, if you face that, say I really want someone to come through, but they're like, well, this person's going to be here or, you know, I'm not okay with this thing that's happening. If the thing that's happening isn't like objectively morally wrong, right? This person shouldn't be there because they're objectively a terrible person. Right? It's not something like that. My solution is, well, let's have a conversation. Let me talk to you about why this is a problem for you. 
And if through an objective conversation where I listen as much as possible, I try to accommodate as much as, pos- uh, as much as possible if I really want this person there and they're just not accepting, then yeah, cool, you can't come. Not because I'm not inviting you, but that's your decision. Um, and this is where the thing about distancing actually becomes really interesting because to me, the, 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 the thing I, w- I personally want to distance myself from the most and actually have distanced myself from the most when it comes to people I've distanced myself from, it's not the people who believe different things to me Um, such as, you know, who you should vote for or do you eat meat or not or whatever. It's the people who are open or closed-minded. So some people I end up having conversations about uh, with about like religion, for example, and literally everyone in that conversation is from a different belief or they, they believe in a different thing. Is everyone in there willing to listen to each other or is someone in there going to go, I'm going to shut down something everyone else is going to say. I'm going to insult other people when they try to, you know, make this more inclusive or when they try to say anything to me about anything within this conversation, anything like that. Then they go, cool, this is someone I need to distance myself from. That to me is the biggest red flag of someone I need to distance myself from. Because in the example you just gave, look, everyone in here is just here to have a good time. We should all be part of a community. We should all have some love for each other, okay? If you can't do that because of something that is objectively pretty superficial, that is really closed-minded. And actually, that's I think, is the most dangerous thing right now. So that's what I'll distance myself from. So I won't invite them or I'll say, well, you can come if you want, but you're probably not going to. Next time, I probably wouldn't invite them. I'm after that, same thing. After six months has gone by, now I'm distanced from them. And that's probably then, okay because that's the thing I don't want anymore. But then that's the thing. It's like, this person might be a really nice person, mm. but they just feel very strongly about this mm. particular yeah, yeah, issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, what's the alternative? So it's like, you want to invite them. So mm. are you going to make everyone who comes to the barbecue who was expecting grilled chicken or yeah, whatever yeah. it is, are you going to be um, telling them, okay, we're only grilling vegetables yeah, yeah. and then they're going to be there quite disappointed. They thought <laughs> yeah, it was going to yeah, be yeah, a barbecue. Yeah, I get you, yeah. And then, but then the, the one person who feels strongly about it is fairly happy. Mm-hmm. It's like what? that's no, that's a, that's a really really good question. So I mean, there's a, to give you a really practical answer. Personally, I wouldn't do that because I feel like that's actually more restrictive than anything else. But um, and also a little bit impractical. <laughs> but um, it's easy to do the, the vegan example. There's other ones yeah, that yeah, are a bit yeah. more touchy. Well, let's but, let's let's mm. keep this example because I I agree. I think it's a little bit easy. He, here's the thing I'd say is like, look, in a way there isn't a solution that I can control. So this is something I've started to believe more and more, especially the last couple of years, is life will push us, life will provide us opportunities by pushing us in certain directions. If you go, I really, really want to come, but I'm only going to come if you make a change that will affect everybody here in a way that's really unfair to them, then I have to go, cool, that's really unfair to them. That's not quite all right. So I'm not going to invite you to this or you don't have to come if you don't want to. Next time I don't invite you, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, eventually life will provide that person the opportunity to think about whether that was the right response because they have siloed themselves by doing that, right? And so life will kind of push you into a corner where you go, cool, you've siloed yourself so much. Here's what's going to happen. Because you're so siloed, you're going to be, you're going to feel very, very lonely. You might feel more depressed as a result. Um, a number of different issues might come up as a result, such as you can't call in anyone. You're going to get so fed up of that. And by fed up, I mean, you're going to feel so shit. It might be terrible mental health or whatever, or it might be frustration that you're going to go, should I have done this or not? Or life is going to provide you the opportunity to question 
whether putting someone in the position of change the whole party or, or I won't come was the right position to put yourself in. So in other words, if you're going to be really unfair, unreasonable, or create any kind of negativity, eventually people will respond and that response will put you in a position where you need to respond. Mm. And that is when you have the choice. And I think this is when people tend to change the most powerfully and the most quickly is when we're essentially backed into a corner of our own making. We go, shit, I put myself here. Do I want to be here? No. Well, what do I need to do differently next time? And, you know, to get really practical, there there won't always be a solution that accommodates everyone. But if there's a reason someone isn't accommodated for, which is of their own creation, maybe that's for the best because that might push them to improve over time. It sounds quite harsh, but my own personal experience has been some of my own, not you know, not all of them. That'd be really self-deprecating and, um, you know, not taking apt responsibility. But if you take apt an, a, a reasonable amount of responsibility for your situation, at least some of it will be down to you and your own choices. So then eventually you'll get fed up and start to ask yourself, well, why? What choices have I made that have put myself here? Mm. Um, and that's when you start to, to create powerful change because then you've got an, essentially an excuse to be more aware about what you've done and why you've put yourself in that situation then, then your brain starts getting really triggered to improve. It's almost like a survival mechanism, right? If I'm really backed into a corner, I need to, I'm, I'm going to improve or die, even if I'm not going to physically die. In your mind, it's improve or die. Um, uh, you know, uh, 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 it's essentially just comes down to survival in the mind. So um, that's when you're pushed to think, cool, what are the solutions? Maybe the solution is I'm being a bit of a dick and I need to change. So hypothetically, in that scenario... Mm. The person has done all the introspection. They've thought about it. Mm -hmm. They've done this before. And okay, now is another opportunity. Mm -hmm. There's a barbecue going on. Mm -hmm. They they say, okay, I want to go. I don't want to be so like demanding, telling mm -hmm. everyone to ruin their party so that I could come. But at the same time, I'm not going to eat meat because I still have my beliefs. Mm -hmm. So I'll still they, make veggie stuff so, for them. So yeah, but. they'll have to come <laughs> and then just eat the veg, veg, veggie stuff. Mm -hmm. But what could also make like what could make it bad is if they go there and then they're making a point to the other people mm -hmm. wow you shouldn't mm. be eating that blah, blah blah all of this sort of stuff mm -hmm. so i feel like the solution is probably for them to just keep their beliefs to themselves and that's mm -hmm. what I, I that's what i think the solution to all of this siloing thing is is if everyone just has their own personal beliefs that mm -hmm. they keep to themselves and they, and only yeah. really speak about it in the con in the context of i don't know they're looking for a partner so they find yeah, a partner yeah, yeah. that that it works that, that agrees with some mm. of their things so they can build together mm -hmm. or um but when you're talking about friends and just mm. being social with like the broader community i don't feel it's necessary for people to yeah voice their opinions so strongly the way that it seems that people are nowadays i get what you mean i think there's a, a slight different i think you're mostly right i think there's a slight difference though between voicing your like having a a, a conversation for the sake of sharing you know interesting thoughts and trying to, to push a belief down someone's throat obviously mm. right there's there's a difference some of the best conversations i had are with people i disagree with completely but neither of us are emotionally attached to the 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 subject matter subject matter or the weight of our conversation or mm. opinions right um you know like to use the example earlier I, I used earlier of you know all of us in the group of being different religious beliefs or backgrounds or whatever we can debate or discuss Debate might be the wrong word in this context, but you get what I mean. We can discuss different things and we're all just genuinely interested in what each other believe. And actually in a way it's really interesting because at the end of the day, our conclusions are pretty much all the same about how you should live. It's just slightly different source material. Mm. Um, 
that I think is actually a great conversation to have. And that tends to bridge, bridge, bridge some of those gaps, right? Um, uh, uh, connection can only be formed if you can connect and you connect on or through conversations. If everyone kept their opinions to themselves too much, mm then you don't get interesting you don't learn enough about other people i think if somebody asks but then yeah it's worth yeah, yeah. talking if, if about if there's it. a conversation for some reason but you shouldn't like go out of your way on to people. make someone feel like yeah. shit because you disagree with them a hundred percent then you're forcing something down someone's throat and mm. um everyone and no one comes away from those conversations feeling good mm. right everyone comes away from those conversations feeling like shit because there's been a, a tension you know you can when you can feel mm. the tension in the air someone's created some tension for some reason mm probably an egotistic reason right let me you know make myself feel like i'm right or something mm. like that and there might be understandable reasons for that you know but uh, or for why you think that that's something you should do but at the end of the day it's probably going to not help anyone and create lots of issues mm. yeah yeah i agree so what's your plans for the future in regards mm. to your company where do you see it going and um this is interesting because i i was having a thought about something like this recently someone we know um a, a friend of mine um, is talking about ambition recently, right? Being really ambitious. To me, there are different levels of that ambition. And so when I talk about where I see th that thing is going, I probably sound like I'm completely insane because the ambition level is so high. Um, however, you need things to be a bit, um, at least a little bit unrealistically ambitious. Otherwise, you're probably not going to push yourself hard enough. So the way, the, re the place I see myself going is like, look, right now I've got a startup, which is kind of, starting to a couple of bits and pieces, but it's nothing crazy. A business which we're rebranding has a couple clients in in the works, but again, nothing crazy, not crazy money. Um, another role that I have, which I absolutely love, all connected by this group. Um, I see not just those two businesses expanding, but they're being, currently I have another like, I have maybe six or seven in total on the vision board to be underneath that group. Um, and I see that group, therefore, to Which be one's able the umbrella? Which one's the... My name? Discover Humanity okay. group is the umbrella of the other mm -hmm. things I do. I see that group organization having at least six others uh, underneath it in the next few years. All of those businesses being uh, um, uh, revenue generating into the millions and all of them socially, entrepreneurially serving the communities that they're set up to serve within within the next 10 or so years, all of that working. And then from there, there being even more. There are loads of industries I'd love to expand into, okay? So those industries in that example, youth market research is one, uh, founder success is one, and, and tech is kind of in there. Um, some of the other ones that are in the idea range from uh, public speaking, other ways of supporting young people, other apps, other technology I wanna build. Um, and then, and there are other industries I'd love to expand into. I'd love to expand into gaming. I'd love to expand. I probably will eventually expand into property just for the sake of investments and things like that. Um, there are loads and loads of areas. But if I look at the next 10 years, the vision is to make that, you know, a, a globally reaching group through the organizations it's set up, it's created, all of them be revenue generating, sustainable and supporting people through how they're set up as well as through what they do. Um, and and so that is just a huge amount of a huge amount of work um but all of it driven by some kind of by those social purposes within each of them of leveling those playing fields for those those different communities you mentioned that um your dreams might seem a bit outlandish yeah but um have you ever read a book called the 10x rule i've heard of it i haven't read it's, it it's on the table it's, on it's that one there but okay, um cool. yeah that book basically the principle behind it 
it's written by some guy called Grant Cardone and he's yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. worth like three hundred yeah. million or something like that. And he's got like over a billion pound in property. Yeah. And um he he basically the whole pr- uh, principle of the book is to whatever your dreams are, mm-hmm. times it by ten. So you said okay. you wanted to achieve all of those things mm-hmm. in ten years. Mm-hmm. What would you have to do to achieve those things in one year? In literally one year, yeah. yeah you'd have to like go at it very differently, innit? Mm. So um yeah, I don't think there's any any dreams that are too big. I think That's you can do anything as long as you yeah structure it it's, right. It's similar to um not too different to uh, if, who is it that said it? It might have been Elon Musk who said this. Something along the lines of, you know, uh whatever your five year vision is, mm. what would you need to do to achieve it in six months? Mm. Yeah, that's the same. Then, mm. you know what I mean, which might be pretty similar math, right? Mm. Pretty, very similar math. So um, that's really, really interesting. I think the way I see those things is probably applying some of that in the sense of, like, if I look at my progress right now, getting there in 10 years sounds almost, that's why I say it sounds almost insane. Because I think to to the average person who isn't in my space, they go, that sounds like a lot of money. You know what I mean? Or they might have a voice saying, well, I couldn't do that. But that isn't, um, I, 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 I probably don't as much as I used to have those mental restrictions. And so that is probably me thinking, you know, in the next one year, I could maybe achieve a 120th of that. That doesn't mean in the next 10 years, I can't achieve all of that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I think it's such a powerful belief. Sometimes, like, do you ever find that sometimes it can be hard to think that way when you are caught up in the day-to-day of life, right? Because life is going to get in the way. Somewhat, but I'm I'm just like overly, like I'm, I'm overly, I don't know what the word would be, optimistic. positive, optimistic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I see things in the way like it's it's like a snowball mm-hmm. and it's just every, it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger yeah, yeah, yeah. as as the more you do, the more it just grows. Yeah. Like, you know, in a way that you mm. most people probably couldn't even imagine. 100%. So I feel like within within a year of um, doing anything with like full effort, with putting everything into it, it should it should grow to a. And this is the thing, right? There's this the saying is when you see a snowball start to to roll, push, mm. Mm. because when you start to see yourself get some traction, jump in, mm. just do it, just fully, and then you might see it's getting bigger, give it another big push. Mm. And I think that's why things like that end to actually end up being really achievable. Mm. When you got the awareness to know when something's rolling, to go, okay, cool, time to capitalize on this. You know, you run a great event. Those people are talking about it. Use that. Use mm. that to plan a next one with some sponsorship and, and making some money. Use it to get social media traction, build your platform, whatever it is. Mm. You see it start to roll, push. And then next thing you know, you're like, I've pushed a bunch of times. Mm. 10 years has gone by. Fuck me. Look at all this. Yeah. That's that's genuinely what I expect to happen. Yeah. And it wouldn't be so far out of the realms of possibility. Like many people mm. have done things in a very short time. Yeah. And it's, it's just that same thing. It's like maybe they took a long time to do the groundwork, mm. like to get their self mentally prepared to set up certain like foundations mm. or whatever. But once it starts doing this thing, it's like it, it, the speed is, yeah. is unpredictable. It's like it goes, sometimes mm. it can just take off so fast. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you wanted to have six companies under your um, umbrella company. Is your podcasting part of that or is that more a hobby sort of So thing? that was a hobby. So I've actually paused my my show. I haven't done it for quite a, a little while now. Um, one, of, one of the things I see as being able to enable all that success is building a, a powerful personal brand around the things that I do. Not too dissimilar to what you're doing. And what I ran into maybe about a year and a half ago uh, now was 
I don't really know how to do that. I don't really like putting myself in front of a camera. Not that I mind being videoed, but I, you know, when you're, someone's holding up a phone to themselves and making like a video for social media or whatever, mm. I just don't enjoy it. It just feels strange. Why am I talking to my phone? What I love is exactly what we're doing now, which is having a conversation. Mm. Um, so I started a podcast as a way of trying to do that in a way that would also create some content. Um, and will I learn some things along the way? And so, um, and so I put a pause in it just because of my capacity right now, but actually I love doing stuff like this. And I actually also, within all this, I have like three or four different shows I'd love to start. Mm. Um, at least one of which I know I'm going to start and then I know I'm going to come back to my podcast eventually. When did you start doing your podcast? Very beginning of 21. Okay. And what was the idea behind it? Was it about all your other businesses and no. bringing awareness? So the podcast was at first called the mindful leader. And mm. then I changed it to being called lost and searching. And so something you, you know, you might've noticed throughout this conversation is for me, there's kind of this intersection between mental health and well-being and founders, leadership, entrepreneurship. Um, I, um, I essentially, the more I dove into, you know, learning about humans, reading books written by monks, um, psychology, things like that, the more I realized, and between that and my own personal experience, what I realized is that people who push themselves the most, aka leaders, right? People who are taking a lead over something in some way, shape, or form, mental health is a real struggle there. Because to push yourself as hard as you need to push yourself takes a real toll on you. That's actually reason number one. Reason number two is you might be starting and pushing yourself that hard because you've experienced something yourself or some various something, some situation. So between those two things, mental health for leaders can look really bad. And so I essentially wanted to do is learn for myself as well as in a way that would pass on to others what, um, what, mental, what mental health experiences, lessons, et cetera, et cetera, that experienced leaders would want to give to, to either young or just newer leaders. Um, people who were maybe those activists or those young entrepreneurs or whatever, um, what can they learn from someone who has you know, sold a company? And what I was constantly hearing, and this is why I want to come back to, because it was so fascinating, um, all these stories of you overwork yourself, it's not going to help anyone. All these stories of this is what my life looks like now, and I'd, I'd rather it didn't. This is what motivates me, and it's important, but because it's driven so much by mental health, it starts to, it starts to, to wear on me. Um, there's so many, so many lessons we took out of, I, I took out of that that I, I pass on to entrepreneurs all the time or in other shows or in conversations like these ones. Um, and so that's what it was all about, really, is understanding how leaders' mental health gets impacted by being a leader. It does seem like quite a taxing subject matter, mm. like de dealing yeah. with a lot of mental health and dealing with, like that seems like yeah. it can, it's, it's probably really hard not to let it get to you and it's it not you. to affect you like some of the things that's that you're discussing it's yeah it's like um kind of the classic thing around like therapists can get very easily yeah. impacted by the people they're speaking to right yeah um that's really interesting for for me i didn't i don't remember ever walking away from a conversation feeling drained okay and i think there's a couple reasons for that one is um the people i was speaking to I think inspired me and motivated me, even if what we were speaking about was taxing, because by being there, they're creating a really empowering space and a really empowering message, mm. right? So um, they've already made the decision. 
by having the conversation, they've already made the decision to Literally. find a resolution. It, it, well, exactly. Or even if there's not a resolution, sometimes just talking about it is like, that's courageous, man. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really courageous being able to do that. Sometimes, depending in, especially for some of them, uh, with with the things we were talking about. So that's the number one is, I guess, allowing myself to be inspired. It's essentially seeing the glass half full, right? Mm. Um, by allowing myself to see the glass half full in the sense of, even if this conversation is talking about trauma or is talking about various different difficulties you experienced, because I'm able to see the glass half full, I'm focusing on the fact that you survived it and you're now passing it on to other young leaders as opposed to being overwhelmed by by the kind of sad story or whatever they might be telling me. So that's the number one. That's why I didn't find it that taxing. I think number two, though, is you, you, you will have a certain amount of energy based on the stamina you've built up, right? You will be able to run more and faster if you've practiced more because you built up your stamina. It's the kind of the same thing. I spent so much of my life trying my best to be that self-introspective, honest, aware person of the things I experienced that I was used to hearing this. However, it was, some of it was internal, right? So I was, it was used to hearing this dialogue, but it might've been inter internal dialogue, but it didn't change the fact that I was used to hearing it. Um, so sometimes I was having these conversations that were really, really difficult conversations to have, but because I was used to hearing it from myself, I was open to it. I was maybe some of it wasn't as shocking to me because I might have experienced some of it before um, or or I just had that mental stamina built up. Um, and and, you know, the only thing I think that someone can really properly take away from that is um, if something is taxing or draining, that isn't a reason to not do it. Mm. You know, it might have been difficult for some of the conversations might have been difficult, but by throwing myself into it more and more, now some of the things I can talk about with people now, they don't negatively impact me at all. Even last night I was having a conversation with someone, um, started to allude to some of the things they experienced and I was able to take this more open-minded, almost like a coaching style of mindset to it where I was able to ask questions, empathize, care about them, but not emotionally identify with it mm -hmm. myself. It wasn't oh, this is reminding me of this, this, and this. It was, this person's letting something out. Glass half full, great. Positivity, something constructive might come from this. Mm. And with that as the focus, even when it might have been physically tiring or short-term mentally draining, long-term is very empowering. When you start back your podcast, will it be the same sort of? It will be similar, yeah. The way I'm going to do it is... Um, I want to, before it was online, this was during COVID, I want to have something like this, actually. Mm. There's something like this is really inspiring because I would like to bring it in person because um, I think in-person conversations are much more powerful, personally. Um, was you doing mainly Zoom? It was so. It was all done over Zoom, literally, because this was all, all of this was during literally the two, like, lockdowns, basically. Yeah. Um, so I want to bring that in person. Um, and... Other than that, it will be very similar in this. I mean, I've grown since then, so I think my ability to, to lead a, a thought-provoking conversation is probably improved, but um, structurally, it be very similar, where it will be about, you're a leader, talk to us about the mental health experiences you've had. I tend to start as um, what your life looked like as a young person, because mm. so much of our lives are impacted 
by what life looked like as a young person, even mm -hmm. if we don't really realize it. Um, and then I tend to move into, so how did this get you into leadership? And then as a leader, did you start to experience more mental health difficulties and why? A lot of it's about these personal stories, right? There might be, there are usually almost always lessons that can be taken from that, but they're lessons through the lens of tell us about your journey as opposed to, you know, tell us what you believe straight away. Mm. Tell us about your journey. Paint me a timeline of the way your life looks. Mm. And then from there, will you experience this? What did that teach you? Um, and that, I think, especially within that mental health space is so powerful. Mm. Yeah, similar to you, I've studied in like people and mm. interactions and trying to understand what we are. Mm and how to bridge the gap between people and stuff like that um is there anything that you would recommend in regards to i don't know books or different reference mm. points that people yeah. anyone who's trying to develop their uh, people skills yeah. would look up so for me a lot of what's been most helpful has been about understanding sort of as you describe like the way people work and why um a lot of that's very human very much about connection so but again, I, I so I've got, I have a few specific books actually that I recommend, and I might even recommend reading them in a specific order if you've never read any of them before. But keep in mind, some of these they overlap with things that sound businessy, but they're businessy in a way that looks at at, at leadership or at the individual person, mm -hmm. which is what helps me to understand some of the more meaty stuff later on. So I started off by reading a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by mm -hmm. Stephen Covey, which you might be familiar with. It's a very very famous book. Yeah, I've um, read it. Um, it sounds very familiar. It's 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 one of the. Um, have you read um, Atomic Habits? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's almost you know to me it's almost like a precursor to that in the sense that it came out in like the late eighties, but it's talking about some stuff that I think is really really necessary to understand about personal habits and, mm -hmm. and personal development. Um, from there, I went into learning more about trust, trust building, and human connection. So Stephen Covey, the author of that, his son, who's also named Stephen Covey, which is a bit confusing, wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. Very business-focused, but it's business-focused in a way that expands your understanding about trust. Even earlier when I was talking about um, how I think being fully work from home can be kind of dangerous, even some of that I learned as far back as probably four years ago when I was reading The Speed of Trust because that helped me learn about how human beings develop trust in one another. Mm -hmm. So The Speed of Trust is a great book. Some books by Brene Brown, um, the person I mentioned earlier who, who talks about siloing. A mm -hmm. um, uh, book of hers that I read that I love is called Braving the Wilderness. That's probably the next one I'd read. Um, Braving the Wilderness is, is a lot about that human connection um, and, a, and a number of other things, which, which I think is really powerful, really easy read as well. Um, and then some of the most meaty stuff after that that I start to get into is books by a man named Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, um, which is, they start to, the out surface level sound very spiritual, but it's, it's not about religion or anything like that. Like I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a religious person. Mm. Um, but they start to get into elements of spirituality in the sense of learning about human connection, learning about ego and awareness and awakeness. Um, there are some other books in between those I've read. So like stuff by Simon Sinek. I really, really like Simon yeah. Sinek. Someone was talking about him the other day on the show. There you go. So he's a really powerful, famous speaker as well. Uh, sells, speaker and salesman, isn't it? Um, no, no, no. Well... Oh, he really. does a lot of sales uh, training and stuff like that. He might do. He is more more about leadership. His whole thing is leadership, leadership and an organizational culture, and and so the book of his. So he's wrote a book 
where the, at least the topic has become very, very popular called uh, um, uh, Find Your Why or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he, in fact, his, his TEDx yeah. talk, uh, which I would, I would go recommend to anyone who hasn't watched it, you know, um, Simon Sinek, Why? Or mm. Find Your Why. Mm. Very, very important. Um, book by his, book of his that I love, that I read about a year ago, uh, is called um, The Infinite Game. Everything in life is a game. This is the way this described it, right? Some are finite games. We play a game of football. We agree to rules. The game ends when someone wins. Life, business, these are infinite games. There's no rules. You just keep playing until you give up or you die, <laughs> literally. Um, understanding the distinction there, super, super important. The way I top everything off is with Eckhart Tolle. So um, book called um, uh, The Power of Now and then probably even more important than that is um, A New Earth. A New Earth is, I think, also quite popular. Some other little books in between there, but to me, there's almost this timeline of those being the most impactful books to me. Mm. Again, lots of other things in there, but those have been the biggest because they, they build this journey of, of understanding. Mm. How do you like to read? Do you uh, prefer hard copies? Do you prefer Audible? How do you normally get through these books? I... um. So I struggle with focus <laughs> a lot. Well, not a lot. Sometimes I really struggle with focus. Um, and so it takes me ages to read a book, but I love having hard copies of books. I love having my bookshelf. You know what I mean? Um, I only really listen to things when it's like, uh, when it's podcasts. Mm. I, I'm not a big fan of Audible and stuff like that. I like being able to see things, to highlight things. I like being able to write down things that I can write down more properly when I read later. So... I mean, again, this comes back to you find what works for you. Mm. For me, having something I can hold that I can just pull off the mm. bookshelf whenever I want to, um, you know, having a stack like you've got books here. I love that. So um, that that's how I like to do it. But it, it means it can take me a while to get through something. Yeah. Similar to you, um, it takes me ages to get through a hard copy of a book. So I like to audio, um, like listen to it. Like I can listen to a whole a, a giant book like mm -hmm. um, in... A day or two mm -hmm. i just have because I'll, I'll be doing I, I work as an engineer i'm just like while i'm working i can just have it in the headphones yeah and, or if i'm driving or whatever i just have mm -hmm. it on the bluetooth and i'll, I'll like to get I'll, i like to get through it with the audible mm -hmm. but i love to have the hard copy as well so that i can use as an actual physical reference yes and so as you well. have both yeah okay that's interesting like, there's certain books i've just bought several times because really? yeah i just uh, yeah, I just I like them, and yeah, uh, yeah. I plan on buying some some of my favorite books. I plan on buying multiple, like maybe like ten copies, and just give them out to people because mm -hmm. they're so impactful. They have been so impactful in my life. So good. That's a great way of paying mm -hmm. it forward. It's a great, great way of paying it forward. Yeah, and I feel like the the knowledge that has been learned from these books, it's like I could buy the book ten times over, and I still would have not given back what they've given to me. That's really interesting. That that's the thing, right? And in a way, it's a way of supporting the author as well, mm -hmm. but. Um, you know, we mentioned a few times throughout today's like appreciation. Mm. That's one of the ways that appreciation manifests itself is like to really understand how the impact someone or something has had on you and then go, I'm going to use this to pay it forward. Like for me, this is the, the biggest thing about um, privilege in general is that some people, they have privilege, they don't use it. So what I mean by that is if I'm lucky enough to be in a certain position, that all that does is, explain why I push myself so hard or it's just another reason to push myself so hard because I have more space than someone else might. So 
I need to use it. Like it's my duty to use it. Mm. Paying things forward, using the space you have, using the resources you have. I think that's one of the most powerful ways of actually helping other people because it's very realistic. It's achievable, not hugely taxing, but it means you start to use what you've been lucky enough to have or how you've been lucky enough to grow, what you've been lucky enough to learn to, to also do something for someone else. Mm. Yeah, I agree. In regards to books on like human interaction and just understanding what people are. Have mm. you ever read, um, do you know about an author called Robert Greene? The name sounds really familiar. So he wrote a book called The Laws of Human Nature. Okay. And um, he's most famously known for the 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. So yeah. you probably heard of that yeah, title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to me, I've read maybe five of his books or something like oh, that. Wow, but okay. to me, his favorite, my favorite book of his is the laws of human nature mm -hmm. and that and basically his style of writing is he'll bring historic references he'll basically talk about mm -hmm. some historic figure mm -hmm. and he'll go through their life and mm -hmm. why they were who they were and why they achieved what they achieved also why they made some of the mistakes that they made and it'll be like you'll be seeing like a re like reoccurring theme in people's lives it's like mm -hmm. they keep on making the same sort of mistakes and then you and he'll break it down to when it first started happening and mm -hmm. what was happening in their life at that time yeah, so that book really showed me a lot about myself and about people in general. Mm. So that book's one that I would recommend to anybody. I'm going to add that to my list. As I have really a whole good. list, I've got a stack that I need to get through because mm. it takes me so long. Mm. And then I've got a list of more I need to buy when I'm finally done with that stack. But sounds like one to add to the list. Yeah, and then another one is um, by Dale Carnegie. Do you know that author? Sounds familiar again, um, yeah. He wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Yeah. You read that one? I've not read it. I've, I'm aware of it though. That's yeah. a really good book. Um, okay. That's that's like more about just human interaction as well. Okay. And but that one, I think that one's a lot more famous than the laws of human nature. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Well. I haven't heard of laws of human nature, so it probably is. Mm. But this is the thing: all these things that they're that they're about anything that's about understanding people, right? I'm I'm not here to um. It's not. It's not for the effect of like let me get something out of this. I just genuinely really care about understanding people. Yeah. I think if that's the mindset you come up at it from, all these books are going to be super, super fascinating. Yeah, and understanding yourself. Mm. Because sometimes mm. we're doing things and we don't understand why. Like I said, with the um, the references in, in the laws of human nature, it's like, there'll be someone who's super successful, mm -hmm. but for some reason, they keep on making the same mistake in their yes. life. And it's like, so it's, it's not really about your finances and stuff like that. It's just about... It's almost like the human condition. It's like mm. we're studying we're studying the human condition and we're working out why do we do the things that we do and how can we break these habits? Similar to the book you mentioned as well, The Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about just repetitive, mm -hmm. doing things over and over again. It can be good, it could be bad, but you're reinforcing the habit over and over again by doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Totally. All of these books are like really fascinating to me and mm. uh, they're like... It's that's a great my method of self-study, right? Mm. Like... Uh, to me, university always felt really overrated. Um, whereas actually things you can use to apply, you reflect for yourself, read it a second time. This is where some of the biggest learning for me has come from, not from, you know, when I was in uni. So mm. I, I, I'm What did totally you study you. in uni? So, well, what I studied was super irrelevant. Not well, yeah, mostly irrelevant in my life now. So I was really into history at the time. Mm. Um, so I studied history and politics and then actually... So I, did, I went to university in Scotland. And they do things a bit differently up there. So I had to take a third course as well. So I did history, politics, and business. Um, and actually dropped out after a year because going down the entrepreneurship route was more right for me. There was a little bit of success there, a lot more failure than success there. However, 
now after several years, I'm so glad I did it because my whole life has been directed towards that energy as opposed to being directed towards let me get a degree, go out every night, whatever, whatever that first and second year, especially uni students are doing. That just wasn't the vibe for me. So um, I went to study to study these things, got really bored, experienced a few other issues there as well, and just decided, you know what, I'm done with it. But what it gave me is a real appreciation for things like that self-study, as well as um, a kind of not in a really bad way, but a little bit of a, of a kind of cutthroat um, view of university and the university structure in general. Our society is kind of, you know, go to school, then go to uni, then get the first job, then get the second job, then get the promotion, then get to the top of the company, and then you'll be happy. You know, mm. it's a train ride. Everybody jump on, choo-choo, mm. let's go. But realistically, that's not what life looks like. Um, and I don't think universities should have to serve as that stepping stone for everybody. Mm. I think we in our society especially and in the uk we need more viable marketed options because schools will get judged um uh, like how successful schools are and how much money they get judged gets judged on grades and how many people go to university mm. not how many students leave happy how many leave feeling more filled how many get something if, if that's an apprenticeship instead of university mm. so schools only push university and so the whole society ends up being set up that way but uh, it's this self-study that we're, we've been talking about, bro. That's impacted me far more than mm. than anything I learned in my one year there. Mm. Yeah, I I do respect people who have been able mm. to make it through uni, though, because mm. it is. 100%. But I do I do agree with you, though, in terms of I think self-study. There's something special about it where it's like you've taken it upon yourself mm -hmm. to learn what you want to learn, yes. and you're a bit more passionate about yeah, it. No one's making it. you do it. Yeah. So, but I, but again, I do. I know a lot of people who have gone through the uni, and mm. it's it is like a transformational a, for a lot of people. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it. I think even when you when you when your business does get to these stages mm. of like huge success, you probably will hire people who have been hundred percent because it shows something mm. about their character. I I will most likely. Well, so here's the thing. Well, so here's the thing. I will look at that character, not mm. how they got that character. Mm. Right. So we're hearing more stories of companies that don't necessarily care too much about, um, you know, if someone has a degree or not, um, or they'll lower their expectations for like what you achieved when you were at that degree mm. or something like that. Um, that's where character over competency comes into it. If you learned it by having a, a big transformation at uni, fine. But here's the thing about uni for me is if we look at uh, historically, you can tell us where the history side of myself comes into it, right? We look historically at the purpose of a university. Um, in the, you know, 15, 1600s, they were where the wealthiest, richest, most educated people went to to become even more educated and do even more research into new things that people didn't know before. That is still what they are set up to do. That's not what they seem to exist to do anymore. But they're still what they're set up to do. So for example, what that essentially means is, look, academia is its own career path. I'm going to spend my whole life researching new things for the betterment of the world or for the betterment of the research or whatever. That's a very, very, very noble cause. That is what university teaches you to do. So I'm going to go to university because it's going to make me better in the world of work is a little bit of a farce. Yes, you might learn some skills, but nothing you have to go to university to learn unless you want to be an academic, unless that is your ideal career path. Let me get a PhD and that's where my, my life is going to be is in research. If that's not what your life looks like, then 
university is probably it might not be the best place to get those skills. Not saying it's not useful, but I won't I won't unless I start an organization or have a role that's relevant to needing to be an academic for mm-hmm. that role. Having a degree to me is is pointless. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's um, it's like there's different types of roles. So there, mm, there's roles exactly. where it's like you need someone to be more outside of the box, more mm. creative, and then that person you probably don't need them to have gone mm. to uni. It's more about their character and who they mm. are and how they, how they think and stuff like that. But mm. there are some roles where you just want someone to be very like specifically educated. They know mm. exactly a specific thing. Maybe you're mm. you want a lawyer for the company. Yes. Maybe you want to um an accountant for the company mm-hmm. who understands the the um, financial laws and stuff like that. Yeah, even some of these. So for the most part, you're right. There are some examples that people don't always expect. Like um, you can, I th- it's hard, but you can become an accountant without doing something like math at, mm. at, um, at, at university level. Through experience. Um, through certain experience or certain courses or you, you know, maybe you, I know people who don't even have A-levels and then they're going into getting a job that normally requires a degree. Mm. <clears throat> there's also um at the end of the day most organizations will accept that it's about the results you can get at the end of the day yeah. right so if you and a lot of people in the marketing space as well as even in the programming space they don't need degrees for yeah. those things because if i've proven to you i can code uh you know a revolutionary app yeah cool why do you care how i learned to code yeah <laughs> that, your that. work speaks for itself your work speaks for itself mm-hmm. exactly so almost everything has value if you take value from it but i do think some people are not getting as much value as they could because they think something should give them something they shouldn't when i when i was that one year i was at university Mm -hmm. um i was on uh one of this like the student board for one of my courses as well as the student council and whenever we tried to push anything through to get the university to change there'd be huge resistance huge feedback uh, negative feedback and if they did change anything it would take a long time but i actually don't think that's a not that i don't think that's a bad thing but i i don't think universities should be to blame for that necessarily because most of the things we try to push through are help me get job opportunities help me um you know i don't know gain more workplace skills whatever universities weren't set up for that they were set up to take academics and turn them into even better academics mm. And they do that very, very well. So when I say, you know, we need some more other options, it's just mindful of, look, that is that is the system that universities are there to serve. Mm. Um, it's okay to be outside of that. Unfortunately, society doesn't seem to think it's okay. Mm. And I, I worry that that will impact some people's self-esteem. But you're very right that there are certain things you need certain degrees for, and that's fine. It's about what you want to dedicate yourself to. Mm. Um, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you you will need a university degree. If you're happy to dedicate yourself to that, great. Mm. Um, it's all about you. Again, all comes back. You as an individual, what's right for you? Yeah, and I think ultimately, if you have the same or more ex- experience than someone who has the degree, mm. then great. You, you mm. can do the job better than them, great. Mm. Like, you would be hired yeah, yeah, for yeah. it. But... A lot of the time, the degree is an indicator of your training, the mm. amount of training you've had in the particular subject. Mm. So it's just, it, it just, it, it implies that mm. it, you would know more. But mm. I, as I say, if there is somebody who has somehow yeah. learned everything, maybe their parents were mm. both accountants and they taught them everything before yeah, they yeah, yeah. even needed to get a degree. Yeah. And so they just like some sort of genius in, in the industry. Mm. They probably wouldn't ever need a degree because That's they're the already... Thing. 
I guess the, the I guess the only caveat, only thing I'd I'd say about that is for the most part, university isn't an indicator of training experience or training. It's not experience. I would say training though, because that's what they're, you're paying for. You're I saying don't it I don't think it's an ex, I don't think it's necessarily an indicator of training and and a bar certain things. So if you want to become a doctor at least half your time is spent in training, so yes. But that's because you need it to be able to be a doctor, so fair enough. If With my degrees, that what, what I was doing of history and politics and, and business... You can study it outside. I, it, it wouldn't have been an indicator of any type of training. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, um, especially people in the field I'm working with, I'm working in now, they, they will be biased towards someone with like an MBA, a master of business, mm-hmm. um, I know people that are far better at business who have no masters, mm. who don't even have, you might not even have a degree of any kind. Mm. So it isn't necessarily of training, it's of knowledge. You then need to prove that you can apply that knowledge in an effective way. And uh, the degree alone isn't going to do that. And there are other ways you can get that knowledge, mm. again, depending on the situation. But 100%, look, you need to you need to be able to diagnose what works for you. Um, diagnose who you are, the impact on you, etc. And um and yeah, there are so many more options. My my only concern is you don't is not enough, especially young people. Look at what all those options are. Mm. Um, but is that one hundred percent their fault when the whole society, when you're young and the whole society is telling you something? It can be really hard. Mm. So I, I I've been there m- myself before, so I empathize. I mm. empathize. I've heard a lot as well recently that men are not going uni anymore, or they oh, they really? are, or they're dropping out. But okay. it seems to be like women are going through uni and graduating but a lot of men are opting out of it not to say that they're being less successful in Mm. life but they're just opting out of the whole thing do you have you noticed that or have you heard anything like that i haven't personally but you know what i think i became so fed up with our education system Mm. i kind of removed myself from it a little bit and started Mm. focusing a lot on entrepreneurship um that's a really interesting statistic though. Did did um do you have an, any understanding of why that, that that might be the case? I have no idea. I, really I, I have no idea. I think it might be something to do with the amount um how broad the subjects are now. Mm-hmm. So there's so many more different courses you can do mm-hmm. and probably of the new courses maybe they uh they're predominantly interesting to women as opposed to men. But I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I would guess. Maybe. I wonder, um, there's a lot of factors that can be in play there, right? There's um, society on a whole, the signal society sends you, and, and with more and more things being online of you can do it yourself, mm. maybe more more and more people, um, and maybe this impacts men more or young men more than, than anything. Um, or like, well, maybe this other stuff is a viable option for me, such as me dropping out for entrepreneurship. Mm. Maybe that's the case. That'd, that'd be interesting to know if there's data behind that. Um, it'd be really fascinating, actually. Um, but there, or there might also be other challenges. Uh, some of the, if we talk about some of the other reasons, like I dropped out of uni myself, some of it, well, a lot of it actually was mental health and loneliness. Some of it was um, actually family issues back home. Depending on the culture uh, that you live in, family can play a really big part. And so, again, depending on where these people that are dropping out are, it might be impact it has on them which they might not want to talk about and it might also be you know are there demands of of home life and and actually if we think culturally speaking one of the things men are more expected to to do in the culture is like take care of their parents um you remember when china had the one child policy yeah. um 
one of the biggest issues with that was so many families were, if they found out they were having a girl, they would abort the child mm. because culturally it was the man, when the man grew up, that would look after, that would look after the parents. So the man would get married, take his wife with him into that family and they take care of, of the children. So if they, or the, the parents, so if they only had, um, if they only had one girl, they'd be left alone as adults. And they would, she would want marry that. out the family. Exactly. She, mm. she essentially would get married out of the family. And so, you know, they, so I wonder how much of the impact there is, is culture as well. Mm. I guess that's one of the, th one of the problems with this kind of thing is it's, it can be really hard to diagnose why those data trends start emerging or why they exist. But usually when they, I personally, I find when they do start to emerge and we have some, some proof of why it's always really really interesting and it always speaks to something that we can do better as as a group and usually as something you can do even as an individual which is why i find it so fascinating mm. speaking of culture what mm. uh, what is your heritage where are you from yeah so well uh there's always a few ways to ask, answer that question right so i was you can hear from my accent and i think i might have mentioned it earlier i was born in uh, la yeah um so grew up in and around hollywood right mm. when i'm somewhere in London and someone's recording a movie or like there's a film crew. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Cause I'm used to the film crews. Right. Yeah. Um, so where does that come from? My dad's was, uh, kind of from here, moved over there at the age of 18 to work in the, in the film industry. Um, and eventually after 20 or so years there met, met my mom, my mom was from there. So my dad moved over. My mom was from there. Her heritage, they were Russian Jews who mm -hmm. fled during the revolution. Mm. Um, and my dad's side of the family, they are Lebanese, but there were Lebanese, I guess, nomads. So my dad was actually born in the Gambia and both of his parents were born in different parts of Africa. I think his dad was born in Sierra Leone and his mom in Nigeria. Mm. So, my family and then so on their heritage with, with both Lebanese. So I'm kind of from all over the place, but at the same time, because of my upbringing, it's, it's a strange one to talk about in a way, because because of my upbringing, I don't really identify with any of these things. Like I don't identify, like I did grow up, uh, you know, we, we grew up um, celebrating Hanukkah and lighting the menorah at the end of every year and things like that. But I don't really identify as Jewish, and I don't, you know, I don't practice it or anything like that. Um, I don't identify with that heritage. I don't really identify with American culture, although it probably does shine through more than anything else within within me. But I don't identify it or like it very much. Moved over to the UK, but I'm not very British. Um, a little bit of experience of those elements of Lebanese as well as African culture, just through things like cooking or whatever. But again, don't really identify with them. The closest thing I really identify to is is being a Londoner, even though again I'm quite weird for Londoners as well. I'm not I'm not a stereotypical Londoner, so um, my heritage is kind of all over the place. But at the same time, it always feels weird to talk about because I just don't identify with any of it. Do you ever feel like reconnecting to some of these communities? Because just for the because it sounds mm. like a lot of your your drive is to build communities. Yeah, why not connect to some of the communities that you are connected to by blood? That's an interesting mm. one. I think so. The short answer to that question is because I probably don't feel very connected to them. Um, I might. It's an interesting concept. I will probably visit the Gambia at some point. I'm not. I will probably visit Limadon at some point in my life. I don't have a a, a, a drive to visit either of these places all that much because I don't. 
I don't really identify with them. I don't, I'm not that connected to people there. I actually, I have very, very little family left. At this point in my life, it's pretty much just me and my grandmother, um, who herself has a lot of health issues. So, um, like, I don't feel that connected to where she lived, which was the Gambia. I don't feel connected to Lebanon, which is kind of where she's from. Like, and then on my mom's side, they had no connection with, with the Russian heritage. That's just where we knew they were from, but they were fully American by that point. Um, and so with I have a little bit of family left in the States, but not really any. So I don't even feel that connected to America. I will definitely go back to LA. Um, I haven't actually been back since I left, funny enough. Um, it's been over a decade. I haven't been back to LA. Mm. Um, but I guess there's a sense of, of, I guess if we had to look at your question and go, well, reconnecting with people, right? What does it mean to connect or to reconnect? If I don't know anyone there, I don't really have an experience of the culture. I don't identify with it beyond, you know, I know what some of your food tastes like because because someone in the house can cook it. Mm. Um, what what does reconnecting really mean? It, it feels more like learning than relearning or connecting yeah. than reconnecting. But then even then, how do you how do you do that if you don't have anyone to go to? You have to kind of do it from scratch. Mm. And then for me, my life's in London, so that's what I'm connecting and reconnecting with all the time. Mm not necessarily the original places that I might have been from. You mentioned that like your parents were Jewish. So my that's mom's a, side was, yeah. So that's like a big community. That's like one of the strongest communities. Why not like sort of. I'm not so I'm not a particular I'm not a particularly religious person. I would say I'm fairly spiritual, but I'm not a particularly religious person. And so connecting with someone based with the only connection being a shared experience of religion isn't something I feel very powerfully called to do. Mm. I'd rather learn about people as individuals, and the way you, t the way, the way I prefer, I, I feel like I'm most, am, I'm most likely to connect with people is through passion, shared passion, shared interests. So, um, in a way, we're connecting through a shared interest of these things we're talking about, of your development, of things like that. That to me is far more interesting than let's connect because, you know, I grew up lighting the menorah at the end of every year and, and you still do that now. To me, that's not a very powerful connection personally. If I felt more connected to that religion, then maybe, but but to me, it's not a super powerful connection. But maybe it's just, it doesn't have to be like um, all in sort of thing. Mm. Maybe it's just something where you just some get to learn some more yeah. stuff about it and maybe just... Um, because there's got to be a big community in London as well. There are in some parts. I think, well, I think the Jewish community in London can be a little, as either isn't, a, there are some places in London where there isn't a community. There's just people and they practice their own beliefs individually. Or there's really powerful communities, but they're kind of siloed. London's a bit weird okay. for, well, specifically Judaism within London is really weird for that. But if we take your point as a general, a general kind of thought, um, that is a potentially a really powerful way of looking at things, actually. I, I would probably agree with that in the sense of, like, look, if you find people you want to connect with, find, yeah, find shared ways of connecting with them. Go to those spaces and, and just start up conversations. I think it is getting, it can be hard to find the space to do that, for the average Londoner, at least, because between how much, you know, a lot of us work, and myself included, between how much I work and... Um, access to those communities with more things being online and things like that. I personally struggle with that a little bit, at least. Mm. Um, at least, uh, yeah, at least I know I do. But I think theoretically, if we had to, you know, ask the question of 
how do you start to reconnect with certain things about yourself or start to connect, you know, form new connections with things that are really interesting to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good suggestion. And I might take it on board because I am trying to do that more and more. But I'm, this is a classic, classic thing, but I am not as good at doing that for myself as I am trying to create that for other people, you know? So you mentioned you work loads. Does your businesses or your your role that you do with, uh, I'm guessing, another company, mm. what takes up most of your time? So technically, my role with the other com- with the other company takes up most of my time. So we're a nonprofit called Color in Tech, and what we do is we help people from underrepresented backgrounds get into tech and be successful in tech. And I lead our whole startup pathway. So this is the thing: the work there takes up the majority of my time in the sense it takes up about forty hours of the sixty to seventy hours a week that I will be working. Okay, and um, however. I am leading a startup pathway, which is super relevant to not just my general interest, but to one of those two organizations I'm a part of, uh, of mine, um, which is all about founder success. That's about creating technology to help founders figure out what they need to do to increase their chance of success as much as possible. What that requires is so many similar things to what I'm doing in my role. So I'm getting paid to speak to founders all the time. As a founder, you need to learn about your target audience, which means talking to them. So I get to do loads of market research for myself. Um, I get to do lots of networking as well as investor relations. So building relationships with people like VCs. Um, These things carry into other parts of my life. So they overlap. So although I'm technically putting in the majority of my time into, um, you know, my my role um, uh, with another organization, it's one that actually has such a similar mission to my personal mission and so purpose, but um, but also so much of what I'm doing and learning is is going to naturally pass over to other things in my life. And so actually, I don't mind that balance. I find it really really enjoyable. But mm. yeah, it is quite a few quite a few different places to to put my energy. And obviously, you know, there's becoming more understood now is you know where you put your energy is where your energy yeah where the the results come from. Mm. So if I'm putting my energy into two to two and a half different things as opposed to just one thing are your results going to decrease and i think the only reason for me it probably doesn't feel like it is is because there's overlap in the nature of the work even if it's happening in two different organizations Mm. you know similar to you i i'm i feel like i'm working all the time as Mm. well so i work from early in the morning like six or something like that i'm getting up and going to um depending on what time I have to start, but mm. it sometimes varies, but I'm getting up and going to my engineering mm-hmm. role and then I'm there till late. And then I, um, and then I do the show like literally yeah. like every How many hours day. do you work? Um, when you about go from 40, about, I think it's 42 a week, something like that in okay. the engineering. Mm-hmm. And then, so if you add in commute to that, it becomes a big chunk of your day. Yeah. Maybe like 40, I don't know, five, six, I'm not sure, yeah. but, Literally every other second I, mm-hmm. I'm not there. I'm not either commuting mm-hmm. to or from work or working. Mm-hmm. I'm doing, I'm working on the business. This, this. Yeah. And what is your, what is your plan with this show? You asked me that, I'll ask you the mm. same question. What's your plan with this show? Where do you the, see it going? The plan with the show is basically, as I, as I kind of mentioned before a little bit, I, I changed my life quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And just a bit of backstory. I don't want to mm-hmm. like proper do like some whole song and dance about it. But when I was growing up, I was, a bit like everything's were uncertain for me. Mm. Things were a bit um, unstable. Sure. I moved. I moved. I was living with my mom till about seven. Went to live with my dad till about fifteen, mm-hmm. and then I was living by myself. I was like in hostels and stuff mm-hmm. until the age of eighteen, mm-hmm. 
And then when I was 18, I got a flat and, mm-hmm. but basically I was like, I became like the, I don't know how, how it's worded, but like the, the government basically becomes your guardian or something like yeah. that. So um, they basically found me a place when I became 18. Mm-hmm. But ba- when I was, when I was going through all of those sorts of things, I was easily influenced by like some of the wrong influences. Mm-hmm. I was involved in some stuff that isn't really mm-hmm like stuff that I would be proud of and things like that. So it's, um, so basically I, and I went from that type of mentality where I was just like, kind of just not really, I didn't really have myself together. I was mm. uh, similar to the stuff that you mentioned, like depression and stuff like that. I was dealing mm. with a lot of those sorts of issues. I was kind of being unproductive and I wasn't really proud of myself. And mm. I was just, I was just a bit of a mess. I would consider myself to be a bit of a mess yeah, back then. Sure. But somehow through, through that, I, I was able to, get qualified as an electrician mm-hmm. first. And then I started working, had a bit more pride in myself. Um, like when I, when I, and I, I had a somewhere to like to live that was mm-hmm. a bit more stable mm-hmm. when I was 18. And long story short, I just started getting myself together. I started reading. I started getting myself together. I became an engineer as well. Started getting more money and like reading certain books that made me really like consider what my, my purposes and what I'm sure. supposed to be doing while I'm here. And I just basically went from a place where I wasn't proud of to a place where I am proud of. I'm mm-hmm. quite proud of myself today. I know that probably yeah. sounds quite arrogant, but no. it's, um, I've, yeah, I've changed my life a, a lot. Mm. So the goal of the show is basically to, to highlight some of the influences that have allowed me to do that change mm-hmm. and also speak to loads of different people, because I feel like a big part of my journey mm-hmm. was, people helping me people mm-hmm. like learning from other people's experiences talking to different people and being able to get like listen to other people's stories and basically just allow that to show me what i want out of life mm-hmm. and what i don't want out of life sure you so, learn by seeing and doing instead yeah. of by being taught it right exactly and some of the people um like there was, there's literally like so many people that have helped me along the way but some of the the most instrumental people were my friend scott he um he was like an older guy. I always seem to I always seem to get along with like older guys mm-hmm. and that they kind of guide me and mm-hmm. do you know what I mean. So that's yeah, common for people that have those difficulties at a young age. Yeah, yeah. So Scott he he really helped me. He got he was the first he was the first one to make me fall in love with reading. Okay. Someone before that, my friend Kevin, he he gave me my first like personal book. Like mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, I had um books in school and stuff like that yeah, that yeah, I didn't yeah. really care about but he gave me a book called The Alchemist have you heard of that yes I've read it yeah yeah so that was my friend Kevin he he gave me that but I was kind of dragging my feet with it mm-hmm. I didn't really like I read like one two pages sure. and then six months later I'd read like another page <laughs> yeah 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 that's really dragging my feet with it so I didn't appreciate the opportunity that he sure. gave me there by giving me that book as time went on I, I, I really appreciate what he done for me and but when but when I met Scott he had a life that that I really wanted like mm-hmm. he had a life where it was like he had a similar sort of upbringing but he was able to get himself together and he he's somebody that he can I I saw his life and I was just I felt like he done it right and he, sure. he went from a really bad place to a really good place and mm-hmm. so he showed me about people like Jordan B Peterson mm-hmm. and uh I don't know if you know Ben Shapiro and different types of people like that. He showed me, he would show me all of this stuff and he used to show me these, um, these videos, these different lectures that these people were given. And, mm-hmm. and then he t- showed me certain books and then he gave me, or he told me to read a book called 12 rules to life mm-hmm. by Jordan B. Peterson. 
And then that was another one. It took me ages because this time I hadn't, I wasn't in love with reading, but I just yeah. wanted to do it because I saw, I don't know, something about him was very inspiring. Mm-hmm. This, this, um, my friend Scott. And um, long story short, I just, I felt, I got through that book and it activated me. Like right yeah. at the end, yeah, right at the end of the book, Jordan B. Peterson says something like quite profound about um, about him. He was right. He wrote the book with a pen that had a light on the end of it. And he, he he said it in some certain type of way, like it was a pen of light and basically some sort of like illumination sort of thing okay. that basically, it's hard to explain. Yeah, I okay. need to read it again because I read it so long ago now. But it basically activated me. It made me feel like mm-hmm. everything I'm going to do is going gonna, is gonna to be significant. And so I just fell in love with books. I just started reading loads more. Um, I started reading financial books and was able to kind of get my money like side of the game, like more on point. And I kind of understood how money works and... All of these sorts of things, it's kind of, I'm kind of like rambling on a bit, but the core of it is that I changed my life completely. Yeah. The person I am now, if you knew me back then, you would mm-hmm. have never thought that I would be mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. I was, as I said, I was a bit of a mess. And so when I see people who are like the way that I was back then, mm. I still have faith in them. I still believe that they can do it as well because I know that I don't. Yep. So the core of the show is basically to just have loads of conversations with loads of different people that we can learn from and we can use to become better, better people. Mm-hmm. So today talking to you, I've learned a lot of stuff about your mission in life. And I feel like you're very passionate about everything mm. you've said and you seem to be very driven. And that, I feel like that's going to inspire someone else similar to how a lot of the things inspired me mm. when I was, and, and even it does inspire me hearing some of the stuff you've said. And yeah, I feel like somebody who's maybe 16, 17, who's maybe their life's been a bit of a shambles yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're trying to, like work stuff out if mm-hmm. they're able to get some some inspiration and some like activation from yeah. the show then i feel i consider it a, a job well done yeah so here's a question i have for you then how mm. do you how are you going to get this show and that learning in front of more of those people who maybe looked like you did all those years ago the way it's working yeah it's actually getting it's getting really it's it's, it's having a lot of traction recently Good. it's been getting it's like the snowball effect isn't it it's mm-hmm. like when i first started I could barely get like like five people to mm-hmm. like to just uni- like I'll send it to like a handful of friends, so mm-hmm. maybe I'll get my first like thirty views or something like that, mm-hmm. and then maybe like five extra people would just somehow see it. Yeah, and it's only been four months, but like I dropped a video like two days ago mm-hmm. on like I do it on all the different platforms. Mm-hmm. YouTube, uh, the the most the highest views video I've got so far is about six point eight thousand. Nice. But because um, I'm doing it on all the different platforms, it's like I'm seeing the, the growth on on all the other platforms sure. as well. So one of the clips on TikTok, literally two days ago, it mm-hmm. got about 20,000 20, views nice. in like the first day. So it's like it's growing, and it's only as I say, it's only been like four months, mm-hmm. and I really see the the show just growing and growing mm-hmm. and growing. And as long as I continue to talk to interesting people mm-hmm. and like really try to learn from mm. them that's that's really what i want to do i want to focus on the, the the guest get like learn what other people are doing in in life because i feel like everyone's an expression of what life can be and okay. like their ups and downs it's all great learning experiences mm. like just to have a deep conversation about it yeah 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 what you're doing and what you're very good at is um it sounds like you're very good at speaking speaking the language of the kind of people who need to hear this. In other words, you don't sound different to them. You know mm. what I mean? You're not speaking in a way or asking questions that they wouldn't want to ask or wouldn't hear. Or, you know what I mean? You, 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 you sound like your target audience in a mm. good way. 
And so you're building that personal brand in that way. And so what I would, what, well, and you might already be doing this, but what I would always challenge someone in your position to do is how can you lean into that as a personal brand even more and, uh, and, and own it even more? So in other words, can you find groups of people or places where groups of people are that are a lot like that young person you were and use your show to impact them? Hey, I would love to share this with this community group, or I'd love to record my next podcast live in front of this community group because this is the these are the kind of things that this community group needs to hear. It could be at a, a youth center or whatever. There aren't many left, but you know what I mean. Mm. But the thing is, the person I was before mm. didn't really have a sense of community. Sure, didn't really have like this group thing that mm. they go to or whatever. They were kind of just viewing the world as everything's like against them or something yeah, or everything's yeah, yeah. not going well and totally and totally yeah what well, that sounds like yeah i feel like the best way to get to somebody is mm. the way that the people that got to me done it they basically mm. just put stuff out there it's up to me if i read it or if not you, if, if i take yeah it. they yeah. just basically um like sure. for example my, my friend gave me the alchemist mm-hmm. it literally took me about three years to actually mm-hmm. complete that book I, mm-hmm. because I just was dragging my feet with it. Mm-hmm. And if I had read it straight away, mm-hmm. it probably would have had a, a quicker effect, but yeah. I just wasn't in the right uh, mental Frame state. Of mind. Yeah. It's that thing we were talking about at the beginning around, look, someone can present you with an opportunity. Mm. It's still up to you if you actually take it. Mm. Um, so I guess that kind of brings me to one more question I have for you, which is with that as the premise, what is your vision for how big the show can get? Um, and and where it can go and how it's going to impact those people. I imagine that the show is going to get as big as shows get. One of my inspirations is Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously got a huge podcast mm-hmm. and his podcast is, um, I don't know if it's the top one still, but I know it it's was the very top high one up there. Yeah, 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 for a yeah. long time. He kind of just broke all types of records in it. Like mm-hmm. before, before him, there wasn't a show as big as that. Mm-hmm. And so... I imagine that I'll also break records. I'll also build it to a point where it's like bigger than probably conceivable right now. The way I'm going to do it is by just showing, like um, Mm -hmm. showing the, so as I said, my friend Scott, Yeah, Mm -hmm. one of the things that made me really respect him and really want to read the books. And and as as I say, back then I wasn't reading. I didn't Mm -hmm. like reading it. Like it was, to me, it was so boring reading Mm -hmm. and it just, it was such a chore, Mm -hmm. but because it was coming from him and he was somebody that I really respected sure. and it, it, it made me want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that he, he done yeah in his life is that he paid off his house. He, um, he had a, a like great family. He, he was, he had a great relationship with his wife and he's, he had a son that he was very proud of and his son was also doing really well. And I felt like he created a, a stable situation mm-hmm. from complete instability or whatever mm-hmm. the word would be. Cause, and that's basically what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create a, a good example that people who, who relate to me, who can, who can relate to my story, relate to mm-hmm. the things I've been through. They've been through similar things mm-hmm. or even worse things, or whatever. Then they would, they will be able to see, okay, yeah. he done it. He's doing it. Cool. This is the things that is important yeah, to yeah, him. Yeah. And, so I think the final thing I'd probably challenge you with then is this is taking the principles of that social entrepreneurship that I was talking about at the beginning and kind of throughout. If you see that, right, that business 
when it's making an it's when it's making enough money to cover its its expenses and to grow, mm. that's sustainable. Yeah. Right. So that's what a sustainable business looks like. With a sustainable business as a vehicle, you then have everything you need to decide how it's going to positively impact the world. This is why I say for me, social entrepreneurship was make my life better while making other people's lives better at the same time. Mm. Because through creating a sustainable business vehicle, you get to decide every single thing about that vehicle that can positively impact other people's lives. Mm. So the the most basic, simple example is, does a percentage of the profit get donated to charity or something else like that? More interesting examples to me are in setting it up, um, do our systems and processes impact people positively? So maybe the guests you bring on, they're answering questions sent in by the community that the community really wants to know and learn mm. about. Maybe the electricity that's taken to run all of it, you know for a fact is coming from a renewable energy source. So you're carbon neutral or you're somehow you're carbon positive. Mm. It can be even things as small as that. This is a vehicle. Use that vehicle to impact the world as much as mm. possible. Because here's the thing. Having a huge, so, a huge show for the sake of who it might impact, um, I think that's a very, very, very noble goal. But the more specific you can make it, we look at achieving goals. Um, and things that help people achieve goals more, most, one of them is, is being as specific as possible. The more specific you can get that goal, which essentially means having a really clear vision. That's why I asked you what your vision for the show is. A really clear vision means even if you don't know exactly how you're going to get there, that doesn't mm. matter. You know what the end result you want is to look like. If that end result is to be breaking records and have the number one show, beautiful. The clearer the vision is around that, it's going to break records by doing X, Y, and Z. It's going to it's going to um, be so impactful and grow because people will want to share it because I'm doing X, Y, and Z to positively impact people. Add in as many ways of positively impacting people in the world as possible into that vision and make that vision super, super clear. And bro, I'm, I have no doubt you're going to get there. You know what I mean? When you're going to get there one day. That's how you do it is by making that that um, that really powerful, uh, that making that vision really clear and mm. powerful. And the other thing I love about what you're doing is um, is I kind of very briefly alluded to this earlier is someone once told me um, goals are worth achieving when you or sorry, you're only able to achieve goals that are worth achieving if they're a little bit over ambitious. Mm. So what I mean by and, and to the point where they're a little bit unrealistic, not too dissimilar to, you know, that 10x book we were talking about, where um, if you, let's say, um, let's say I set myself a super realistic goal that everyone knows I'm going to achieve, okay? I'm going to make 30K by the end of the year. Well, my salary is higher, it's a lot higher than 30K, so it doesn't matter, mm. right? It's almost stupidly realistic. It's not going to help me to set that goal. In some ways, especially if it's not 100% guaranteed, but it's still a super realistic goal, you set a goal that's too realistic, the chance of you achieving it actually goes down because mm. you won't realize just how hard you need to work. If you set a goal higher than that, just slightly beyond what you think is realistic or even beyond what is objectively realistic, you're going to push yourself even harder to achieve it to the point where even if you don't achieve that, you'll achieve a lot more than if you set yourself a lower goal mm. because you will deep just how much work needs to go into it. And so what I love about what you've described is um, 
Although I would challenge you to make that vision as clear as possible in a way that helps other people by setting a, a vision and a goal as ambitious as what you just described to me, I'm confident you'll achieve it because it's so ambitious, because it sounds initially almost a bit unrealistic, but that means you're going to put in the work, which is going to get that snowball rolling and get it in a place where you can give it, give that snowball, that push we described earlier. So I think you're on a, on a great track, man. In regards to a sustainable mm -hmm. business, um, is that the word you use? Sustainable? sustainable vehicle. So if we see um, anything that gets you anywhere is a vehicle of some kind. What was the term you used for like if the business makes more money than it costs to run? Uh, sustainable. Yeah, sustainable, sustainable okay. vehicle. So yeah, in regards to it being a sustainable business, mm. I am a sustainable business. Mm. I make more money than mm. I need to to live and yes, to do the sure. show. So it's like it becomes a That's work of passion. Okay. I'm not yeah. desperate for the money. Yeah. Everything is owned mm. by me. I don't mm. have to pay for whatever. I don't have mm. to pay for somebody to use mm. their space or anything like that. It's all mm. owned by me. I, I Ultimately, it doesn't matter to me if I don't make money for the next year or whatever. It's like, I just see it as I'm building a foundation. Yeah. It's like At this I've, stage, 100%. Mm. And I've already built up other aspects of my life. Mm. So it's like a lot of what I've been able to do yeah, is, is what I'm trying to sh teach people to do. Like I have a younger brother mm. and I'm trying to teach him to to build up, to look at it like it's, it's like a table and mm -hmm. you have several legs. And if you only have one leg and you lose that one leg, then you have no table, your sure. table falls down. Sure. So it's like, one of my legs is the engineering. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing well as an engineer. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been an engineer for a long time. I'm, I'm like in demand, I get offers all the time right. and I could easily just live off being an engineer. Yeah. But I want more than that. And what I want is it's not going to be hindered by my need for money. Yes. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The show will definitely make money. I have mm. no doubt about that. Mm. But the way I'm going to do the show mm. is going to be, it doesn't have, it's not to do with money. It's not Good. like I need the money. It's Good. The reason, the, the only mm. reason, I think that's great. The only reason I think money needs to be a part of the vision to some extent is because say you had the money to do this show full time mm. tomorrow through its own income, you you could quit your job as an engineer. Mm. You could quit doing that completely and focus just on this. Would you? No. Why? Because I would always like I, for one, I like being an engineer. Okay, fair. And two, the show is like the social engineer show, mm -hmm. isn't it? So it's like I'm always gonna be an engineer. The question is, mm -hmm. how much time will I put into how engineering? Much? Okay. How much time will I put into the show? Cool. I'm, it may be a case of I only do private jobs mm -hmm. as and when. As and when. Okay. Yeah. Cool. cool. But I will. I will still always be an engineer. Great. But and and plus, it's one of the it's one of the principles I'm trying to I'm mm -hmm. trying to push. I'm trying to. I want people to become skilled people, become okay. like qualified. So it's part of that personal brand. Yeah. So the reason I think that's a really, really powerful answer and a powerful thing to understand is because um, to get the show to grow, it will need income that shouldn't have to come from you. So the reason I say a sustainable business vehicle is like, look, my, my startup, for example, doesn't make any money at the moment. Um, I make enough money to sustain myself and then work on it part time, but it's not going to grow until it's making more money than it would cost to run plus my expenses. Does that make sense? So say you want to continue um, being an engineer, maybe it's less time. If the show is going to grow, it might need more staff. It might need a 
one day, one day eventually a bigger and better studio or whatever, more guests, more often, more marketing to reach more people, whatever. That all will cost money. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is treat it. Well, I say treat it like a business. It sounds like you are already. It is, is a great. business. It's registered. It's okay, a full, great. It's a full cool. Business. So as a business, it needs to develop in stages. And one of those, the, the stage you're at right now is a beautiful stage to be in because it means you get to experiment and things like that. And then the next stage of, 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 of growth is that initial money that allows for some space so that it doesn't have to come out of your, your, your uh, paycheck. Even if you have that money, mm. it doesn't have to come out of your pocket. That is where real growth can start to happen because it means it's you've got 100% reinvestment into making everything better. Mm. Then... Even if quality is already really, really high, growth is already sounds like it's going really, really well, you're always going to want more of that. So to achieve that vision you described, which is really, really ambitious, which is wonderful, that needs really, really ambitious impact, which needs really, really ambitious, as boring as it is, it needs numbers, basically. Mm. Um, however, I don't think that is a bad thing when it's driven towards that purpose and your mm. purpose is really, really powerful. So it sounds like it's really on track. Because this is pretty much all I do, Mm-hmm. I don't there's like I don't it's not like I'm I'm also trying to maintain like a gambling habit or I'm anything also trying else. to like yeah, 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 spend yeah. like I'm trying to go clubbing every weekend sure. or anything like that. I have like literally this is all I do and yeah, you're focused yeah and that's another one of my principles it's like I feel as though obviously I, I say I, I say as a man but that's just because I'm a man so women might feel the same way but as a man I feel as well I should just be doing my purpose. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. And then mm-hmm. when my pur- when I've done, when I feel as though I have no more purpose, mm-hmm. I'm probably just not going to be alive anymore. It's like That's it's going to be thing. the end of my life. That's when I talk about the the infinite game earlier, mm. right? Say in 30 years, you want to do something that isn't the show or 10 years or five years or two years, that maybe the show's going well, but you don't want to do it for whatever reason. It could end. You could hire someone else to be the host. It doesn't matter. I may do that. That's the thing. Eventually, there will be another another new purpose mm. because life is an infinite game. It keeps going literally until you choose to give up on it completely, which is when really depressing things start to happen, or until literally you die. You might get old or something else might happen. Um, knock wood that it doesn't. Um, that's, what, that's what makes life so interesting is if you have a purpose, how it expresses itself almost doesn't matter as long as you can express it because then there's always some new way to bring that purpose out mm. into the world um so starting with that purpose i think is a really beautiful place to be at mm. yeah i agree and again it's like as i said i, I came from being mm. very depressed very unstable mm-hmm. um and one of the things that like cured that all of that stuff yeah was having a purpose mm. is deciding that i was worth i was worth something the world is a better place mm-hmm. with me doing yeah. what i need to do do you remember the moment you realized that you had that purpose or that you discovered you wanted that to be your purpose? I think it was, I don't remember the moment. I think it was a series of events. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was, it was like confirmation that when I do what I'm supposed to do, Mm -hmm. other people are benefiting from it, Mm -hmm. whether that's my friends, whether that's my family. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm, I'm like, I'm like almost like a burden on the planet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the reason I ask that, I think that's a great answer. And the reason I ask that is because there's this myth in our society, I think, that um, there are these light bulb moments or the world is shaped by geniuses and some there's a magical turning point or whatever. Mm. But actually, for the vast majority of us, it's exactly as you described, where it just creeps in. And one day you realize, oh, shit. 
I'm completely different to who I was five years mm. ago or 10 years ago or even one year ago. Mm. Oh, shit, my mindset's completely different. The way I live's completely different. Wow, I didn't realize it. And I think it's so powerful for more people. It would be so powerful if more people understood that even if right now you don't feel like you've massively changed, take a really hard look over the last few years and then an understanding of over the next few is going to look even even more different. Again, that snowball. Every year, I say this to myself consistently every single year, I go, I'm a, I'm a much different and much better person than I was a year ago. But if, I, if every single year is my biggest year of growth, that means every year I grew more than I did before. So that snowball's rolling. Mm. It's a series of events. It's a series of small moments, lots of loads of little small moments that you don't even realize are, are con continuously happening and going on. But when you finally take that step back, you know, reflect, then you realize, shit, things are different. That's the way it looks for most people. So it's okay if you don't go, you know, my life's radically different now. Wow, that's amazing. For most of us, it won't look that way, and, and that's okay. And so it means that that, even when things feel difficult, you're you are on that journey. That journey is happening. It's there, and and you are you are improving. Mm. Seven, it has been a pleasure, man. I've yeah. really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise, I, brother. This has been a great one. Thank you yeah, for having me. For real. And um, as I said, like a lot of the stuff you said is really inspirational. I feel like you've spent a lot of time studying these sorts of issues and the stuff that you're saying. It's like I've read the same things in different books and stuff, mm. but it's, it's always refreshing to hit, speak to someone who's also like living that and trying to do it. And do you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Likewise, man. I um, I think this has been really empowering and, and inspiring to, to hear and to have this conversation with you, listen to your thoughts, hear about your journey of transformation. And and uh, and I know this is going to go on to impact even more people. So thank you for doing this and for, you, for being here. It's been a pleasure. Before you go, is there anything you want to promote? Any like maybe your websites or something? Get Honestly, the best out. place right now is um is my instagram yep. so it's just at seven dot jacobs my name yep. um s-e-v-e-n dot j-a-c-o-b-s because i'm trying to get more active on there and put stuff like this on there from all the different things i do to do something similar in, in the sense of inspiring more people and any opportunities that i put out there that that comes up that's also the best place that, that for me to put them so cool i'll uh, put the link in the description then. so anyone who wants to check it out just go in the description and there'll be a link right there and this will be on all the networks, all the podcast cool. networks and uh, YouTube and, yeah, everywhere pretty much. Great. So, yeah, every, all the audience, check out Seven Stuff. As I say, he's really inspirational. He's doing a lot of good things. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Cheers. Cool. Alrighty. P, 2p, 5p, 10p, 20p, 50p, changed on annoy me. 1 pound, 2 pound, 5 pound, 10 pound, 20 pound, 50 pound. These are my employees, yeah. I just make Elizabeth work. I just make Elizabeth work, yeah. I just make Elizabeth work. I just make Elizabeth work, work, work. Where my money at? Let me dial up management. Who's going in and who the fuck's panicking? Who's maybe P and who the fuck lost P? If I fire man, that could be costly. You know, I always make the pattern run properly. I got white money and it talks cockney. I got black money and it talks patwa Why the fuck would I want my money stacked up? I see money, I can't let it be statue I'm an entrepreneur in a tracksuit When your money works hard, you don't have to She got dank body and it's all natural But I 
I'm still only trying to get the peas, bitch. You got dead pee, hit it with the D fridge. It's a game full of snakes and leeches. Fuck school, they ain't never gonna teach this. Fuck broke, I'd rather turn evil. When I'm hungry, you be looking like treacle. I tunnel vision on my prey like eagle. I got a pit in the whip looking regal. Just in case I ever got a duck a man down. Dealing with the penny, same way I do pounds. Dealing with the pounds, same way I do racks. Aiming for a billion, I ain't going back. When I hit the club, it's return of the Mac. I'm looking for a hustler, certain collab. Track queen title, where you worthy of that? There's a lot of hot chicks, but I'm never that gas. I don't know love, only know about cash. I know about economy, I know about tax. I want to dominate, not race with the rats. Look, I can't hear shit if it ain't about 1p, 2p, 5p, 10p, 20p, 50p. Change don't annoy me. 1 pound, 2 pound, 5 pound, 10 pound, 20 pound, 50 pound. These are my employees, yeah. I just make Elizabeth work. I just make Elizabeth work, yeah. I just make Elizabeth work. I just make Elizabeth work, work, work.